ragazzi, and welcome to the midseason review of City I Sit Down World Football Indexes podcast to get your calcio to go. I'm Frank Crivello. He's Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Chin chin. How are we doing, Frank? Man, you are nurse. I bought you two cases of those. Like, gosh, what is it? I've got the same thing, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> like about five months ago, and you're still you're you're nursing those things, man. <laughs> Just drinking when I do podcasts. <laughs> it works out. That's a good thing. Yeah. Salute uh, to you um, and to everybody out there. Uh, what a you know, 2021 was good uh, from the Kelcho standpoint. If it wasn't good in other and in many other aspects of life, um, we have. We are the uh, league that is uh, in the country of the European champions, Italy. Um, yep. We have uh, drama just about every weekend, compelling games every weekend, storylines every weekend. So we're going to uh, spend this edition uh, going through the midseason, what we've seen, what we can possibly expect, uh, hand out some awards, our uh, Squadra Finora, or Team of the Half Season. Uh, along with Craft on a Cracker 11. And then uh, for the first time, um, since Richard and I are so we, – we really like getting ahead of the game on players that you better know. Um, so we have a you better know 11 uh, that uh, you should pay attention to over the course of the next several months. So, And I, and I think what I'm most excited about tonight, obviously without – also our guests, but – Tweet of the year. Uh, we had some fantastic tweets this year, yes. some big hitters. And so we did like a top 10 most likes of the best tweets of the year. And so, you know, we'll get everybody gets a chance to vote tonight to pick who's the tweet of the year. Uh, the, the winner of the last season was Parasnitch. He's in the running. So we'll see. It's going to be fun tonight. All right. Yeah. So you mentioned a guest. Let's bring him in. Boom. He is earning his first cap. Uh, with the Serie A sit-down, and uh, we can add Australia to the list of countries where we've had our guests now, Richard, uh, making his <laughs> debut from Inter Worldwide. Benvenuto to Anthony Privatera. Ciao, Anthony. Ciao, Frank, Richard. What a pleasure it is to be here to talk some culture at the best time of the year. I cannot wait. Yeah, and I think actually this has been a second... Cap, because I think uh, Anthony and I did one before previously, just him and I. Oh, okay. I, I only count the ones that I'm on. I don't know. I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I guess lose track, too. So I don't know. So, <laughs> on other shows, it's all the same. So that means Scott Monroe has, like, one cap, because I think I've only been on with him once, <laughs> yeah. and he's been on, like, five times. Yeah. <laughs> so. It only counts when you're on. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I, you know, I, I, we're, we're, we're kidding. So, uh, Anthony, let's uh, give you the floor to start with. Um, tell everyone a little bit about yourselves. Tell us about uh, uh, InterWorldwide and some other projects that you might be working on. Thanks, Frank. Um, yep, the name's Anthony. I'm from Sydney, Australia. And about two and a half years ago, I figured I needed something to do outside of my professional life and my professional career. So basically, I started uh, InterWorldwide with a friend, Samir. And we've just been putting out English-speaking into content, whether it's pretty much on YouTube or on our website or on the socials as well. 
Um, things have been very nice. It's always good to link up with with the community as well. It's been challenging doing it from uh, Australia, but it's something I really do enjoy at all hours of the morning. We're very used to tuning into football at the worst hour humanly possible. So it's like clockwork to me now tuning into Inter at the age of 29. I've been watching Serie A. Well, following Serie A for about maybe 23, 20, 22, 23 years. But as technology progressed, as was my uh, availability to be able to watch it. Um, I also do a little bit of work on another platform called Football Worldwide, only because a lot of the content on my uh, other platform was not really interrelated. So it's a pleasure to be on. I've been following you guys for a long time and just always to be able to connect with um, cultural fans. It's it's awesome, man. So I'm really looking forward to this show. Truly a global sport, right? <laughs> yeah, it sport. is. Indeed. 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 Um, well, let's kick this off by uh, just kind of having a look at the first half of the season here and uh, fitting that we have an inter supporter as our guest because inter are top of the table halfway through on 46 points. Um, you know, it was a kind of a back and forth dogfight between Milan and Napoli, you know, for the longest time. Um, and then uh, Milan injuries, 21 out of their 29 senior players either have been injured or have been out through COVID, uh, you know, at one point or another. So to sit there and see them in second, you know, four points off the pace with all of that hitting against them. And then also the distraction of playing in the Champions League is pretty impressive. Napoli got off to an incredible start, um, looked the part for a long, long time, and then they got into the got into a list of fixtures where it got tougher. Um, and then they started dropping points and the, uh, you know, the other shoe dropped and it started catching up with them where they dropped a third. So who who's there to swoop in and take advantage and be uh, winter champions? Um, something that Art Morelli seems to be making famous by the minute um, is Inter under Simone Inzaghi. Um, let's start with Inzaghi. I mean, when Antonio Conte left, it just felt like Simone Inzaghi was just the most natural fit tactically, formation-wise, personnel available to him. Um, but pretty safe to say he puts his own twist on it. Uh, what is it about Simone Inzaghi that's a little different, that's different from Antonio Conte? We, we, we think of Antonio Conte, we think high intensity, which Simone Inzaghi is not that far off from. But do you, is Inzaghi kind of more of a, a player's guy? I mean, what, what are the differences, you know, that you've seen between Antonio Conte and Simone Inzaghi uh, at the helm of Inter? I think the biggest change is the, um, the tactical freedom that a lot of the attacking players have uh, when we either get the ball after turning it over or progress the ball into the halfway and final third. With Antonio Conte, everybody will say it. It's pretty much a routine saying now. It's almost like you've got a guy with a PlayStation controller in his hand and he can adapt to any, any difficulty on the game as well. Um, which, you know, is nice because you eventually know that if he's got, if Antonio Conte has the personnel to execute his plan, it's not a matter of uh, if, it's just a matter of when you grab that winning goal. There were a lot of performances last season, Frank, when Inter won the Scudetto that were not pretty. And you'd get to Minuto 85, 87, and you just know the goal's coming because look at those personnel that are coming in. And I think yeah. for the first time as well in a long time, Inter's depth is speaking for itself, which is not something that happens overnight in Serie A. I can see Milan going in the right direction with it now. This is not something Inter was had at their luxury even under Spalletti that's when our debt started to wear thin now we've got the personnel off the off the bench to come on for 20 30 minutes and you know when you're starting the likes of Roberto Gagliardini Danilo D'Ambrosio things can be troublesome when you're bringing them on for 15 20 minutes against sides that are already tired deflated and beaten that's the perfect time to bring these players on 
You combine that with a coach that is, I'm just going to call it stupidly hungry to win a Scudetto. Like he wants this more than he wants another child, to be honest, man. And you saw him at Lazio, <laughs> the, se- the season where Lazio got, you know, up to match day 30, 31 with Juventus and was still in the fight. He wanted it so bad. He believed in it so bad. And those photos that surface of, surface of Inzaghi and Lotito having a quarrel in the parking lot, I didn't, I didn't hear what they were saying, but you make up by the pictures. It was almost like Lotito saying, why, why? And Simone Inzaghi is going, because I need to win. I need to go somewhere to win. And he's here, and I think he's hell-bent on doing it. Will Inter go on to win? I'm not too sure. But to, to make your question you know, roundabout in a sort of way, Inzaghi has had a lot of trust in the defense and Brozovic dropping back to anchor in front of the defense because in the season we looked a little shaky on the transition and on the counter-attack where on the counter-attack we're being caught out almost every single game but the defense stood, stood strong and we didn't concede a lot of goals what we've now seen is that the defense is still not conceding goals uh, zero goals in fact for the last I, I can't remember how many games actually but we are transitioning on our counter very very well i know more recently it's been against the likes of venezia spezia and oh my god that game against roma you'd be forgiven for thinking they weren't the ones in the bottom three against us but it will get tougher as the season goes on but at the moment there's nothing to complain about because i don't think many fans inter or not uh, expected inzaghi to do this well six months into his reign and frank you know you talk about free flowing and how this team is playing so well it's like Anthony, you mentioned the freedom, right? We've seen the defenders getting pushed up. Bastoni at times goes up, and he's like one of the strikers, you know, on the on the counterattack. And it is just like it's a free flowing system where anybody has, everyone has the freedom to do what they want. They know the responsibilities, but it's like he, the reins are a little bit off from what Conte did. Conte was very disciplined, right? And these guys have a little bit more expression to to show. And then you're seeing it with these beautiful goals. And then, as you know, we mentioned on your show. They've also learned the tactical side now, and they can also play in multiple types of different ways. They're not just out there trying to yep. score goals like Atalanta. They can play defense. They can play any kind of style and shift, and that's what makes Inter, I think, so dangerous this season compared to anybody else because they have the depth, and now they have the tactical wherewithal to adjust to any situation. So speak more about that and on how the, I guess, the teams become more maybe well-rounded under Inzaghi as opposed to Inzaghi or as opposed to Conte. Uh, especially as of late with, you know, adjusting to the different tactics. Yeah, I think we've also had a very nice little stroke of luck, but that's also what happens. Luck is just where preparation meets opportunity. And we've got that personnel on the bench that was ready to come in straight away. You like, you know, you go from losing a player like Ashraf Hakimi in 80 million is stupid in any world for a right back. But if there's a, if there's going to be one player that gets it, it was going to be Hakimi. And just to have that faith to reinvest it into Denzel Dumfries, which I said it from the start of the season, technically with the ball of his feet, this guy is not going to be crash hot at all. But you are signing a Dutch captain here. He's the captain of PSV Eidenhoven. I know Dutch people. I know a little bit about Dutch football. You're looking at some of the most disciplined and resilient and prideful players and nation in the world. He's the captain of PSV Eidenhoven. You can guarantee 150% on that pitch every single time. And yeah. with just a tiny little bit of patience, <clears throat> Denzel Dumfries is now looking at taking Damian's spot. I hate when players get injured because Matteo Damian was in um, Italian national team squad calling up form. That's what he was in. And I don't think anybody was even denying that for a second. Mm-mm. But... The time that he did get injured, and once again, forgive me, I hate talking like this, but he gets injured at a time where Venezia's on the schedule, Cagliari's on the schedule, Spezia's on the schedule, a really crappy Roma is on the schedule. Um, and you throw in a couple of tough but obligatory accountable games like that, like Sheriff, I think he was in, maybe not Sheriff, um, maybe it was the Shakhtar game and the loss to Real Madrid, 
all resilience building games for Denzel Dumfries. He's got a couple goals on the board. He's already passed that mental that mental block stage now, which is good to see. We're going to need him. Um, more tactically to answer your question, Richard, it just seems that everybody knows their role, knows their responsibility, but also isn't afraid to take risks as well at the same time. I would say one huge tactical change this season is Barella's different uh, sort of position going forward under Inzaghi versus Conte. Under Conte, Barella was one of three players, the other two being Lukaku and Hakimi, that would always be running forward and ready to press the counter, whereas Lautaro sort of like dragged defenders back a little bit. Barella was one of those three that was going forward. Barella's made to pick up the ball a lot more now and drift towards the right-hand side and sort of play with the ball and a lot of attackers in front of him. His crosses have been a little frustrating, but at the same time, he still somehow makes his way into the team of the season for most people I'm seeing. So I think Inter fans are just very, very hypercritical because they were used to a, a luxurious Bentley level Barella last season and partially the season before. I think he'll have come good at the second half of the season because he's definitely needed a lot of rest. He's been playing a lot and that goes to show as well. He's needed a rest for so long, yet Inzaghi and Mancini just refused to bench him. So tactically, as we've said, it's just players who know their responsibility. It's almost like it's Antonio Conte's, Conte's blueprint with the shackles off the feet. I want to follow up on that. I mean, we great, uh, great shouts here about Nicolo Barella and where he's at right now. Um, does it become a concern as we get deeper into this season, the number of games that he's playing um, and the potential for burnout? Um you know, I'm reminded of all of Napoli under Sadi, um, where he just played the same 13, 14 guys. And if they weren't playing for Napoli, they were playing for their national teams. And they did this Scudetto pact. And they just completely flamed out over the last couple of months of the season. Do you see that concern for Nicolo Barella? Um, what does Inter have to do? Because where I get a little bit concerned, you do talk about the depth of Inter. We we we've seen Roberto Gallierini look good when he's asked to come in and just kind of pick at the remains of uh, Salernitana, for example, where he scored. But can you get that out of Gallierini over the you know consistently in ninety minutes starts? I don't know if you can. Um, so does the players behind him get? Uh, become a concern should something happen to Berlal or if he gets to the point where I just can't give you this playing every three days. Um, is that a concern for you? Are you concerned about Barella getting to that, getting to that level of burnout? Just kind of where are you at with that particular, that particular area for Inter? Definitely concerned. And Barella, I'll say this right now, he is my favorite Inter player and has been pretty much since he arrived at the club. I think, you know, his ceiling is huge, but Mentally, he's also shown that he's not there a lot of the time. He loves a good yellow card. He feasts on the yellow cards and mm. he's just got, he's got a temper. He's got a little bit of a temper and even the likes of Conte couldn't really control that temper. We sort of thought he was going to build past it because he's sort of been promised in the background, the captain's armband eventually. He's one of those players that we're looking to keep at the club forever. And even though he probably won't be the next player to get it, we, we see him as the, you know, the next young player to take it over for a much longer period of time. In terms of him burning out, it's already happening, Frank, and it will continue 
continue to happen because, as we all know, very begrudgingly and disappointingly, uh, our national team has February games to play, and he is going to be in those starting games um, yep. as long as long as he is sixty percent fit. He will be in those games. So the burnout is very real. It's going to happen. If Arturo Vidal didn't get injured every time he took the pitch, and the the paradox about Vidal this season is he's actually going to give you a good performance most of the time. But then he's going to be out for two weeks, three weeks, whether it's with a suspension or with an injury. So we can't rely on Vidal. We can rely on Gagliardini for 90 minutes, Frank, if it's against Spezia, like when he came on and had a good game yeah. against Spezia. But no, he, he cannot be relied upon against anybody in the top six and probably a few more teams after that. That's where he will struggle. So you've hit the nail on the head in, in terms of B- Barella's a link. He's a big link. And even though he hasn't had the best start, according to most Inter fans, he's got the most assists for us and he's got three assists alone to Lautaro Martinez. So tell me again, he, he's not still the most influential and proactive player on the pitch, maybe Bar Brozovic. But am I concerned? Definitely. I hope Inzaghi can find a way. Um, he is suspended for definitely for one of the legs against Liverpool. I'd Pretty sure we're going to appeal it, but I'm also pretty sure that we know that he's going to be out for the second leg as well. So he misses both Champions League ties. Before we get on, talk about the other teams. Um, are into the team to beat this this year for the Scudetto? Obviously, they're in first place now, and they're they're clicking on all engines. But you know, Frank had said talked about some concerns that many people have about them, and you have as well. Are they the team to beat? They are the team to beat because they're the champions and they're plus four and they're in form, but. Plus four is nothing at this point of the season. If you're going to talk about plus four, talk to me on match day 37 when it's yep. when it's mathematically improbable. We all know this as Serie A fans. L- leading by four is risky. Six is okay. When you start to break into your nines and tens, that's where you can look behind and go, well, you guys need to be flawless from here on in and you probably won't be at this point of the season. But right now, it's still very open. Inter have Lazio and Atalanta in two of their first three games going back. You could see a very big switch. Inter had a 14-point switch on Napoli. Uh, and I'm not too sure if it was 14 points on you guys and about a 10-point switch on you guys. It can happen in the blink of an eye. Yes, we've been lucky with our injuries and our COVID cases, but that's all temporary. Our our luck in terms of stroke of bad luck is coming this season. And it will all depend on how resilient and reactory we are to it. I think squad depth-wise, we have enough to grind out wins in 80% of the fixtures that we've got left. And that's only me just saying in terms of con- context to the other teams, yes, there's a lot of games left to play, but every team has to play those games. And I think towards the end of the season, it'll be very hard to pick up points against your likes of Sassuolo, Bologna, Fiorentina, anybody in that meaty curve from 7th to 12th and 13th. It's, it's just going to be tough, man. I would like to say that the games against the relegation teams will also be tough this season, but we'll get to them later. That's a whole other course of bad. Frankie brings up a good point because Milan and Napoli have gone through the injury crisis in their adversity so far. Inter really haven't yet, have they? No, they haven't. Um, you know, and they it's it's going to be interesting when it when it happens. And then when you've got the pile when the pile up of fixtures, you still got Champions League. You got to play Liverpool. Um, I I hate to break this to you, Anthony. I think that Inter's journey ends in that round. Um, I just I Liverpool is one of four teams that. It, is capable of winning the champions league. Um, you know, so that ended up being a bad draw for inter. Um, but you know, all, you know, all of those things put together and yeah, the injury crisis does have to, you know, does, it doesn't have to rear its ugly head, you know, with inter, it may not, and they might get lucky all season long, but you know, there are dips in form teams do go through dips in form. You're not going to get, you know, 
Inter may not put another 46 up in the, in the second half of the season, like they did here in the first half. Um, you know, there's so many variables and to Anthony's point, four points is really, really tight. I mean, it's, you, you take a look at Inter and you take a look at the performances, you know, the last couple of weeks, I think a lot of people were fawning over their displays, but we also had to be reminded that five nil at Salernitana. Okay. Four nil against a Cagliari team that is just miserably underachieving for whatever reasons. Um, you know, they are, but they're doing what you're, if you want to win a title, you, you got, you can't let teams like that hang around. You got to put them away. So you can't blame Inter for performing like that. And yeah, you fawn over them a little bit, but at the same time, you want to also say, okay, that's great. You want to say, that's great, but go do that to Atalanta. Go do that to Juve. Go do that to Milan. Okay. Um, that's where, that's where you'll make the toughest critics and the cynics more, more of a believer. So um, but, but they've been impressive and defensively that they, they have adjusted and they have figured it out. I think it was going to be a grace period. You had also Romelu Lukaku. Let's not forget how influential he was in Inter's attack under Antonio Conte. He's gone. Where does that production come from? Um, and Christian Eriksen, you know, gone for tragic reasons. Um, you know, so those are two, uh, you know, huge pieces. And then we talked about Hakimi. So you bring in Jekko, you bring in Chalhanolu, you bring in Dumfries. And what did we say at the beginning of the season, Richard, when we had Nemon said, I think Inter are going to actually be just fine. Okay. A yeah. little yeah. bit, little grace period, a little bit of getting used to Simone and Sagi, but the, they made quality replacements. I don't see a problem here. Um, so it doesn't surprise me to see him in first. Um, what surprises me is how, Milan and Napoli have been able to keep it so close with all the adversity that they've had this season, how Atalanta is still in this conversation when we usually are talking about Atalanta being in seventh or eighth because they're putting so much energy into qualifying out of the Champions League groups, but there they are in fourth and they're going to be a big, big problem. Um, After that, I think it's really, really, it's a really, really tough ask for teams sitting five through eight. Uh, to call them Scudetto contenders. They're just too far back. Juventus is playing a style that everybody in this league has now figured out, especially the good teams. Um, you know, Roma and Lazio have their flaws. Fiorentina is just a little bit too green to this, you know, to mount that kind of a challenge. And just at the end of the day, they're just going to lack, lack the depth to be able to do it. Um, so the title, the Scudetto, is going to come down to one of these four teams. But it also doesn't mean that this is going to be your top four at the end of the season. Fifth, sixth, seventh are all in a position to still step in and sneak up and grab a fourth place spot. So it's very, very exciting. But I think the Scudetto is down to four teams now. Um, I don't, I, I don't see Juve come unless they completely change the way they do things and do it quickly. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I think the Roman teams are just not there. Fiorentina, nice story. We thought they'd do this, um, but not enough to, you know, way too far behind to, to mount a challenge. So it's going to be, you know, so can Inter sustain this and hold on, you know, a a dip in form is coming and and, and the sign of great teams is how do you weather the struggles? You know, how do you weather getting through those bad periods? You know, can you get out of it with some damage control? Okay. You don't play particularly well against an Udinese 
at the Dacia, but how valuable will that point be when you start totaling it up after match week 38th, if you're able to, if you're able to get a point out of it, you know, those kind of points, the critical points when you're in, when you're struggling for form is what's going to help get you to that title. And Conte figured that out last year, right? Conte yep. knew how to do that. And we'll see if Inzaghi's made of that this year. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, and Conte had the, it, Conte's inter struggled away at some places that you wouldn't have thought yep. that they would struggle. At Sampdoria, uh, at Spezia, they had a hard time. And they still scratched out. And they didn't play well, but they still scratched out points. Um, you know, so the team out of these four that's going to be the most capable of doing that in the second half of the season is going to be the team that wins the Scudetto, in my opinion. Yeah, you got... Three really good teams behind Inter. Uh, all four are capable of winning. I mean, Atalanta is dangerous because just because of their attack alone, right? They're getting Golsons back. Hatabur and Golsons, we know, is one of the best, you know, wing-back combinations mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, and to add with that offense that they have. And now the question for them is, can they be consistent defensively? They've been letting up a lot of leaky goals lately. You know, Napoli, Milan, they have their adversity. Can they now overcome that and go on a run themselves? Uh, that'll be big to tell because, you know, they had their injury crises. They have AFCON. Both teams are affected tremendously due, for, due to AFCON. So we'll see. Uh, January will be a very telling month to see if, you know, any of these three teams can keep up with Inter or can Inter keep this, keep setting the pace. It'll be interesting to see for sure. Well, let's ask Anthony. Okay. Milan, Napoli, Atalanta. Which team out of those three are you most concerned with taking the Scudetto away from Inter? I'm going to tell you the one out of the three that I'm least concerned about first. It's Napoli because I've seen this from Spalletti. I think he knows that he's focused on the top four. I think depth-wise outside of their starting 11 is where they really start to taper off. AFCON will be the cruelest to them uh, from anybody. And I actually don't see their their energy slash fatigue slash injury crisis improving until that late February, March period. So I okay. think that they're still, they're still in for a challenge. And whether or not they can overcome those hurdles uh, in more games than not, I would like to believe that they can. You know, I am a little bit of a side flag waver for Napoli, as a lot of people are to look at, you know, the only real Southern club in the country um, competing. But... It, that just doesn't strike me. Now, for Milan and Atalanta, it's a different story. If you asked me two weeks ago, I would have had all my eggs in the Atalanta basket and being eliminated from the Champions League and you know having some heartbreaking cup football. I think that Gasparini is ready to make that Scudetto charge, but is the tactical system flu- fluid enough transitioning back defensively to win a title? I mean, it's great flair-wise the last few years in qualifying for the top four, but it has to be that one bit extra to win a trophy. That, and you also need players who have had that tangible experience of winning the trophy before, something Inter did not have until last season. And now I know only one player on the team sheet is the captain, but as I've said on my podcast, this team this team's probably got about six or seven captains in it. You've got Skriniar, who's captain material, De Vrij, who's captain material, You've got Perisic, who was captain Croatia before. Uh, you've got Dumfries, Dzeko, who captains Bosnia. It's a team full of leaders. Milan, I think, is the team with the second most leaders, and that's why I would be most concerned about them, combined with the fact that you guys have no European football to play. I think Zlatan, every game can gear this team to three points. As frustrating as he can be over the course of the 90, you want him there more than you don't want him there. I think Tonali's having a fantastic season. Need to see a little bit more out of Diaz. Um, I know I've also thrown a, a little bit of shade at Richard for the whole Hakan situation, so I'll zip it a little bit more yeah. on here. And there's still there's still 19 very bang average performances that he could put in. I was not born yesterday, so I'll talk to you yep. more about Hakan a bit later on. But 
you know, see, and you know what, just a side note, seeing Inter go head to head with Milan last season for the Scudetto up until about match day 32, 33, it was nice. I'd like to see it happen again this season, man, because the Serie A colors need to be painted again with the city of Milan for as long as possible. Awesome. Awesome. I, I think I agree with that order. And, and, and the thing with and, and the reason why I say it is, is this, um, I mean, all the points about Napoli are valid. Um, you know, the depth or lack thereof, and then especially when AFCON comes. Um, you know, Atalanta, Gasparini is going to do it his way, and he's not going to be flexible, okay? We talk about, you know, how stubborn Allegri can be with Juventus. You know, Gasparini's stubborn in a different way, and he plays that system. And we talk about the two-man center midfield with Deron and Freuler, uh, and then sometimes Cope Miners is is thrown in there. Sometimes Pasolich deputizes in there. The the teams around them set up where they're capable of outnumbering those two, getting between them and getting between the back three for Atalanta, you know, know, and getting to Musso. Um, And I think that that's where Atalanta falls apart for everything that they can do going forward and everything that they can create. There's a liability to them defensively. Who knew that Christian Romero was this good? If, you know, if Atalanta's defenders that they've got now are struggling, you know, Juan Musso's probably, we've said this, probably the best goalkeeper that Atalanta have had there, but the defenders in front of him are all over the place. And I think that it's those spaces between that midfield and between the defense that you can get at and cause some real problems and you can disconnect those, you can disconnect that back three. They don't play like Interdu, to your point, Anthony, where Brozovic is sitting there and protecting that back three and... Okay, you probably get through Barella and Chalanolu, but you've got Brozovic ready to clean up anything that gets past them yeah. before it even gets to Scudinia de Bastoni. That's the beauty of how Inter is set up defensively. Atalanta don't really put anybody between those lines. So you can break that easily. You can cause a lot of confusion with them. You can cause a lot of miscommunication and get people out of position and create a lot of dangerous chances. It's why Milan seem to go there all the time and win. Um, you know, in Bergamo, uh, when they come to Milan, it gets wonky for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's why Inter will have their share of success against them. It's why Juventus can set up and say, all right, come on, come forward. We'll, we'll stick guys in between those spaces going the other way. And that's how we'll play against you. And we'll get our three points. So, and, uh, you know, and and even, even Roma and Lazio and, and Fiorentina have resources to this effect to be able to take those points off of them. So, you know, so that's where I it's it's Atalanta's system and Gasparini's not going to change. And good on Gasparini if he wants to play that way and he's he believes in it, have at it. You know, but if he starts Atalanta will get a little bit more dangerous and be more of a scudetto threat if there's the slightest bit of flexibility um to what they're doing. And I think that's the frustrating part with them and Gasparini because we saw yeah. this a couple of years ago when they made their deep run in the Champions League. They learned how to play defense. Granted, different defense players slightly. Romero was there, right? Um, but they could play defense and they played those low-scoring games. Yeah. They, they played it well. And then Gasparini kind of deviated away from that and never gone back to it. And I think with the team he has, they're probably better suited in some of the bigger games to do that. Um, it's not going to be pleasing to us neutral fans who want to watch them play this beautiful, fluid football. But... It, they can do it, and they he just doesn't go back to it for whatever reason. Maybe the team's not good at it. I don't know. But we haven't seen that since that PSG game where they almost won except for those two goals in the last minute, right? Uh, and that's why I think it's a frustrating part because I think they would be true contenders 
the true number one contenders to enter if they knew how to play that style and they don't right now. That's the and that's the question mark. Can they be consistent? If they're just going to play this, you know, I'm going to score more goals than you. Uh, you know, some of these teams that are good, like Inter, you know, defensively, they're they're going to eat that up and play on the counter and, and beat you. So we'll see. And then Napoli, all those points you guys made were brilliant. And don't forget the elephant in the room, the possibility of Insigne going to Toronto. We know it's going to be in the summertime, but if that if that does come to fruition, if that, if that, that is true in, indeed, then does that weigh on his mind? Does it weigh on the player's mind? Do they trust him? Does Spalletti trust him? All these other questions. You need him to be at the top of his game for Napoli to make a, con- uh, a scudetto contention. contention. You know, I would, Napoli. I would ask the que- I would ask the questions if it was any other player. Lorenzo Insigne is Neapolitan. Okay, fair point. Fair point. And fair and point. and he's gonna you know every minute that he has left playing for that team, he's gonna fight to the end. Uh, that's that's what I would expect out of him. That's the player he's been for Napoli, and that's what that's the that it, because. It just the situation and what he's given to that club and what that club and what that city have obviously given to him. Why would he, you know, you know, why would he check out at some point toward the end of the season? Why would he do that to the, why would he do that to the fans? Why would he do that to the teammates? Why would he do that to his city? Um, So I, if it was anybody else on that Napoli squad, I would, yeah, I would have an issue. Um, And I would, I would be asking some questions, but uh, I think I, I, I see a Lorenzo Insigne that says I got, I got 19 Serie A games left. I've got some Europa games left, maybe some Coppa Italia. Every time I'm called, I'm going to give them my best. That's what I expect. I don't know. What do you think, Anthony? No, I would have to agree. I don't believe that the rumors are that he's moving anywhere um, in January. But, you know, f- for, for that sort of price tag, you know, you're, you're talking about generational sort of money here where you can set up your great grandkids if you really want to. Not if you really want to. You should, to be honest. Um, sure. uh, but, yeah, so I, I think that's great. I just wanted to make a comment on the Atalanta because I thought it was really interesting what you guys were saying. Do you think possibly um, a big reason about that style of play is, is just to play it a little bit more safe? Because you've got to think Atalanta as a team and as a cash-making team, as a business, they're really thriving at the moment for the first time in how many years, if you look at the last five years. In terms of their ownership, Percassi might be saying to Gasparini, you know what, you just make top four every year. You keep this cash cow rolling. Transfer-wise, you're doing great rotational. You're doing well pumping some young players in. You're getting good play from the transfer market for not a lot of money as yeah. well. Yeah, I know I raved on about Dutch players before, but Tune Kutmanis from Atal, um, from AZ Alkmaar coming in from the Dutch league, that's a fantastic yeah. signing. It's a really disciplined signing, and he's having a really good season so far as well. I called that one right from the start. So this model that's Atalanta, it's still very much in its peak years of making money for them that didn't exist 20, 30, 40, 50, and even longer years ago. So for me, I think that's actually a big undercover reason why they're not ready to submit to that more pragmatic approach where they could be sacrificing a second, third, fourth finish for a fifth or sixth finish just because of experience. Gasperini sticking with the same play, uh, like the same core players and integrating players, learning the system. It's working. I don't think he's going to change it. All right. Um, so that's the, that, that's the top four. That's the contenders. I mean, Juventus, there's not a whole lot of time we have to spend on them really. I mean, Change the way if, – if Allegri doesn't change, this is what Juventus is going to be. And I don't see an upward trajectory to them. And it's a shame. I mean, they've got the quality of the, – when they get the, – they, they're going to get Federico Chiesa back from injury. That's going to be a help. Yeah. Okay, they're going to get Paulo Dybala back some, at some point. Okay, Benedeschi has since stepped up and proven to be valuable. Kane's scoring some goals. Um, Morata is – 
you know, a classic striker, Kuliszewski. I'm naming all of these attacking guys that play for countries that play attacking football. Okay. They're not straight or they're, they're, and then they're coming from clubs that play attacking football. They're not strangers to this. Okay. Um, so it's, you're almost starting to think, and we talked about this. Allegri has played this pragmatic style for years at Juventus, mainly because he could get away with it. Um, the city, the rest of Serie A were so far behind Juventus for years. Yeah. That, that this is the way we can play. We don't have to burn ourselves out. We'll get three points. We'll move on to the next one. But now they're playing the same way. Everybody else is caught up, and they've figured Juventus out. Um, I, I just top, – top four may not happen for them. Richard and I have both predicted that they won't finish top four. Um, I, I, and I don't see anything changing unless the system changes. And it's, and it's, and it's more suitable to give the freedom to the – quality of the players that they have in their camp well i agree with you in terms of the position and table and, and where they'll finish I, I i'll disagree in the sense that i think electric system can work it's that he doesn't have the right players and if he goes out in january if you know uh if um he's allowed to go and spend and gets the midfielders he needs i think he can be okay because he they already had the attackers and they got a strong defense right if they can get the mid three midfielders in there or two we've got locatelli right that's some depth I think they'll be okay because I think his system can work. He's gotten results lately against teams they should beat, which is why they've had that surge in the table after that horrid start. Um, so I think if he gets players that he wants that will work in his system, we could see them start creeping back into the top four. Not the top four, but getting closer. Um, but if they don't, if they keep the same basic core players, they're going to struggle. And you, you you have that opportunity of Romo or Lazio or maybe Fiorentina to try to, over, to jump them. Um, that's going to be the key for me because I think this a system might work. And if, if he doesn't, get players like i'm saying then he needs to change the system frank i agree with you 100 yep i'm gonna jump in here frank man to be honest i'd have to agree with both of you half and half but with allegri like they, he needs to turn it around in the next couple of months because every time i watch juventus just as it about to kick off there's two things that i'm sure of they stand a great chance of winning the game but they're not going to score more than two goals they haven't right. all they didn't all season up until i think a couple of weeks ago did they score three I'm not too sure if they even did, but either or, I just know that they're not able to pile the goals on this season against good teams and against bad teams that sit back. Allegri's style is not complimentary to breaking these teams down that play a low block. And I, w- I would agree with Frank where, as a fan that still believes in the dark arts of Juventus, although I think that's fading away a little bit now, I need to see them struggle a little bit over the next maybe five or six fixtures to be completely sure that they're not making a late charge. Because if I see Juventus six or seven points away from that Scudetto, there is no optimistic fan in the world that can convince me that they're still not in the run to winning the trophy this season. But as I said, the next two months or so, I think more critical for Juventus than any other team in the top six. I agree. Um, It's... Yeah, it's it's huge for them. Um, yeah, they no, they have not scored more than two goals. Um, I'm looking. I'm, I'm going to have to go back. We're going to have to go back pretty far. Yeah, they beat. They only beat Cagliari two nil. Um, yeah, the, the three of us and eight other random dudes could put three past Cagliari right now. Um, that's how bad they are. So um, it's uh, you know it's shocking. Roma, Fiorentina, Lazio. Um, I kind of all lumped together. If you've been listening to this podcast, Fiorentina's position shouldn't surprise you. 
Um, Lazio's position so shouldn't surprise you. We thought there'd be a growing. You've got a complete change of system, complete change of tactics with Maurizio Sarri at the helm. Um, a lot of things needing to be changed. Um, and they've had to go through a little bit of, adver- of adversity with some injuries. Tudor Immobile was out for a little while, um, you know, as, as an example. Uh, Roma adapting to Jose Mourinho. It's still a Jekyll and Hyde situation over there, really. Um, but I think from some of the performances, you can be encouraged a little more by Roma now than you've probably been in years past. They clearly, the, Rui Patricio is the best goalkeeper they've had since Allison. Um, and the defenders, they're, they're kind of starting to figure it out. And he's got enough attacking pieces, uh, Mourinho does, to make, this inter- to make games interesting and to give Roma chances to win. They've, had their, they've certainly had their moments. Um, you know, they had the 4-1 win at Atalanta. We were just talking about that. You know, how, you, how, how it's easy to break Atalanta down and get in and get, get through those lines. Okay, they, uh, <clears throat> they were competitive with Milan. They drew Napoli. Uh, they lost narrowly to Juventus. They did lose the derby, uh, you know, to Lazio. Uh, but under Mourinho, I think you're seeing a little bit more solidity with them. I don't think they're as fragile as they used to be. Um, I think I, I think that they have dropped too many points to the to where they can be a Scudetto contender. But top four is still not out of the question. I picked them at the beginning of the season to finish fourth. Um, so. And I still think that that's a possibility. It just, it's, I, I'd have to go back and try to decide at whose expense they're going to finish fourth over. Um, and then Fiorentina, I think this fifth, sixth, seventh, this is probably going to be their cap. This is where they're going to be. Um, Dusan Vlaovic is still going to be there in the spring scoring goals for them. Um, and they've got some other pretty good pieces that we're starting to learn about. Some we're going to talk about here, uh, you know, in these teams of the season. But uh, some comments here about you know, what you've seen out of the, out of Roma, Fiorentina and Lazio. So I think of the three teams you mentioned there, the, the team that's best chance of breaking into the top four is Roma. I agree about that. Uh, Mourinho's system. We, well, we knew him and Marito Sari, those systems can take a while to, to get, on, to get the wheels rolling. Right. But Mourinho, Mourinho seems in the last past weeks, he's gotten better. He's, as we talked about on your podcast, Anthony, he's adjusted to the three, five, two. They got one of the best top five defense in the league in terms of goals allowed. Um, they're figuring things out now defensively, which which has been a big problem for them in the past. Also, mentally is the big thing, and I think Mourinho will help them jump over that gap. Um, they have a, they have the pieces there in the midfield that, I, that I've I've loved for the last couple seasons. Um, so I think you got that to go with them. If Abraham can start hitting the target, right? He's had lots of posts this year. Um, that'll help it going a long ways too. And, and Eldor. Yeah, Mourinho ranks him high as well. There's a lot of good pieces there, and, and we talk about the youth system is also very good. Um, they got a good team. I, I don't know if they're quite top four yet, but of the three teams, they're they're, they're most likely to make it if anyone's going to do it. Um, Lazio, I think they're eventually going to come around. I think it's been an up and down, Jekyll and Hyde, very much like Roma with them. Um, but I think they're eventually going to get Mauricio Sarri's system. It's a very complicated system. He needs to find his Jorginho role, you know, so to speak. Uh, and he's he's tinkering around. He's I mean, he has to learn that. You know, Luis Alberto and Milinkovic Savage can play together because everyone else in the world knows that, except for him. And when he figures this out, I think they'll do better, and I think they will come around. And I, and I think Fiorentina, they're a great story. I, we we love to see Fiorentina back in the mix. They need to be back in Champions League and Europa League. I, I don't know if I think they're about as high as they can go. I think eventually, not only Roma but Lazio will probably pass them as well. I think it's gonna be Roma, Lazio and Fiorentina will flip flop this season, uh, but it's it's gonna be fun, and I think. The big thing stopping Fiorentina from 
jumping over Lazio and or Roma is the depth, right? It's Vlahovic and company. They have some really good pieces, but then you go to the bench and there's not much there. And I think they need some help there to go. And they got two goal, two great goalkeepers now. Obviously, Drogowski, who's been injured, and Terraciano came out of nowhere, and he's actually a pretty solid goalkeeper as well, right? Anybody would love to have him as a, as a backup. So they're they're not a bad team. Vincenzo Togliano has done an amazing job with what he's had at his disposal. So, Anthony, what are your thoughts on those three teams? I think Mourinho is doing exactly what is expected of him to do with the pieces that he has on his chessboard. You know, a little bit unlucky with injuries. Imagine you had Zaniolo, Pellegrini, and Spinazzola all fit at 100% at the same time. You'd start moving like clockwork in that Mourinho team. So... Um, while I'm very impressed with his work so far, I'm very eagerly anticipating uh, not this Mercato or the one at the end of the season because I think with the two or three more pieces, Mourinho can really make life difficult for every team in Serie A. Um, Tammy Abraham, a great acquisition. I think he's a fantastic signing. I know the price tag is heavy, but he's already showing that he can live up to that price tag, and I think he'll be better next season. Moving on to Fiorentina, love what I'm seeing uh, under Italiano, but I do think Roma is the most likely side to take a spot, a top four spot off Atalanta or Juventus if it's going to be anybody. As Richard said, some great pieces, Pulga, Saponara. I like seeing Torreira play well, but it pretty much is uh, Vlaovic and co. Um, you know, Castrovilli and Milenkovic are having half decent seasons. Nicolas Gonzalez is having a half decent season, but yep. there's still a couple of there's still a couple of pieces away from breaking into that more you know that that more top four category. But just returning to a Europa spot this season would be absolutely phenomenal uh, for them. Lazio, I knew from the start of the season this would be the most inconsistent team of the bunch. Sarri is such a stubborn coach, and if he if he doesn't get his pieces right, like he walked into a Juve team that was still piggybacking off a weak league. So his Scudetto win looks, you know, was almost like clockwork. It had to happen. It was a guarantee that it was going to happen, but he is looking shaky. And to be honest, I, he would be my pick for the manager that might not come back next season out of any of these clubs. I don't want to see that happen. He should be given more time. I think Milinkovic Savage has been underwhelming. I don't think morale is great at the club. For La for me, Lazio is the, is the classic one step forward, two steps back this season. And I do think that they're the most likely to finish outside of the top four and maybe even the top six for me as well. You know, I, I have Lazio not qualifying for Europe at all. I, at, at, at the expense of uh, Fiorentina, I think, or Fiorentina is, I actually have Fiorentina, I believe, sixth or maybe mm, even seventh um, yeah, Lazio you know, in, my, in my predictions. And I had Lazio finishing eighth uh, this year. So, um, no, I, mean, I had Fiorentina seventh. Um, so I had uh, Juventus sixth, Atalanta fifth, and then I had I had Milan winning the title over Napoli, then Inter, and then Roma. So, um yeah, it. I mean, it's it, it's crazy. Anything, anything can happen. I'm gonna just kind of make one quick comment about the bottom twelve teams, and then you guys can jump in. Uh, Empoli, pleasant surprise. Thought the defending would be their downfall. They've actually defended reasonably well, well relative to things. Some great pieces there. Bologna, really the fun bad team of the league. Concede a lot of goals, uh, but are also capable of scoring quite a few. Uh, Torino, really really solid. All of a sudden under Ivan Juric, uh, some good defenders, some good pieces. Uh, figuring out how to do this without Andrea Bellotti. Um, Verona, uh, Giovanni Simeone, great rebirth there, great story there. Uh, came to their senses and sacked EDF after three games. Otherwise, we'd be talking about a totally different situation with Verona, certainly not 12th. Um, Sassuolo, wildly inconsistent relative to the talent. Um, Udinese, about where we thought they'd be. Um, you know, some solid pieces there. Uh, not going to be a team that's going to be in any great danger. Sampdoria, Capable going forward, but can't defend to save their lives, as evidenced by 35 goals conceded in 19 games. Venezia, 
you know, getting to be a better and better story. I think in recent weeks, if you take a look at them, they're starting to show that they they're starting to compete. They're starting to get a little bit of confidence and you love the kits. Um, Spezia, this is a t- team that's defensively starting to get weaker and weaker. Where is the, um, where is the attack? Where, where are the attacking options going to come from? They're struggling for goals, 19 through 19 games. They play pretty football. They're struggling for goals. Tiago Mota is still working there. Um, but that might change <laughs> at some point. Um, Genoa, Shevchenko needs time. He does not have what he needs to be successful there. Uh, he's taken over players that fit a completely different system. Um, and uh, I think a technical director is in there to try to help. So Preziosi is taking this seriously. Well, if he's really serious, he'll give Shevchenko much more time than he's been given so far. Plus a brutal, brutal start schedule-wise to his campaign. Cagliari, Badly, badly underachieving. Uh, plenty of talent on that team. Richard and I went through that entire squad several weeks ago saying, and we probably arrived at two-thirds of that squad could play anywhere else in Serie A. Uh, so they, they've got the players. And Salernitana kind of knew that this is where they were going to be. Um, easily the worst team in the league by a distance. So um, thoughts on anything you've seen from those 12 teams, Richard? Uh, yeah, that's uh, – that's, uh, I mean, you hit, hit the nail pretty much on everything there. Um Empoli, yeah, it's a fantastic story with them. Uh, it's a lot of youngsters on the team, a lot of players emerging from that team, and we'll talk about a few of them later. Um, but you know, some other ones that you know to come out. Obviously, we talked about Zerkowski last week. Uh, Stojanovic, the, the defender, is pretty decent as well. Uh, the goalkeeper is, is really good as well. So it's it's a good team there. Bologna, uh, a frustrating team because they they have the capability of being good and. One week they show you that they show you those goods, and another week they just completely shit the bed, and it's it's confusing, it's frustrating, and I can only imagine if you're not if a Bologna fan. I mean, they have some fines like Aaron Hickey and some other guys, but you know, um, it, they're not consistent enough, and I think they're they're the fun bad team, like you mentioned. Torino, it's a very underwhelming team. They're in eleventh place, which is great, but Sanabria is having a down year. Belotti's having a down year. So many players are having a down year. The, the revelation's really been in the defense with Bremer and and and, and the guys in the back. Uh, Milinkovic Savic has been fantastic in goal, uh, but really the attack needs to do better, I think, for them. And, and it, it's a surprising that they're in 11th. You know, Hellas is another surprising team. I had them pegged for a relegation because of they had EDF at, at the helm, and I didn't expect them to lose them after what three three games or whatever it was. Uh, and it's been the best story for them because they've they've shot up the charts and they played very well. They're back to playing the South Football. We remember them playing the seasons prior. Uh, difficult to play against, can score goals. Um, they're a fun team. They they lose talented players, but they just create new ones. And it's it's really an entertaining team to watch, honestly. Uh, Sassuolo continue to be frustrating. Another fun bad team. They can score goals. They can't. They give up goals as well. Uh, Dionisi started off hot. Uh, and they look very good, but teams have found them out lately. They've had some nice results against the bigger clubs, but the smaller team, they can't figure them out and lose points, value of points. Uh, and that's really what's going to keep them from maybe being a top 10, honestly, because some of the teams ahead of them are a little bit more uh, consistent than they are. Udinese, it's kind of where, we, where you mentioned uh, with them. They have some really nice pieces there. Beto, everyone's frothing at the mouth over him. Uh, and Sylvester's having a good year with them as well. They're, they're a decent club, uh, and it's uh, – I'm glad that they they got out of the muck that they were in for because last year looked a little shady for a bit, like they were going to get relegated. But mm-hmm. they got a new manager; they're they're on they're on the uprise, and so I think you know a few more pieces they could start making a, a, conten- a contention for the uh, mid table there. But it's a decent team. Subdoria, same thing. You know, Jekyll and Hyde. Venezia is a good story right now with the, um, the 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 trending upward with them lately. We'll see how they do in the next couple of weeks. You know, they got Milan in, the, in the, I think their second game out of the break. 
Spezia, I mean, you, you nailed the hit, hit, hit it on the head with Spezia and Genoa um, and Cagliari as well. You know, so frustrating to watch it. You know, they have the potential to be so good. We saw a couple years ago um, under Maran, they were at one point in a, in a Champions League spot on the, on the fourth, fifth spot because they have the players to be there. But whatever reason, they're on vacation because they're in, in, in Sardinia. They just uh it's probably what it is. It's just the beauty of the <laughs> you're distracted by the, the beauty of being on that island and yeah, people vacationing and all that other nonsense. So. I mean, Ja Pedro is a fantastic player and he, you know, he's gonna end he's gonna end his career that I think and he and he should be given the keys to the city because he's just a fan. I can't even imagine what he would do if he was at another team, right? It could be a Borriello situation where he does good for the poor teams, bad for the good teams. We don't know. But I Ja Pedro is a fantastic player and you know, he should be commended for at least staying with Cagliari's whole career. Uh, and it's Larry Tana, man. I just so many disappointments with that team. You know, they brought in Reba Reed to hopefully spike up the offense. And he's done nothing. Simi's brought in because he was a continuous goal scorer, 15 goal scorer every time with Cortone, and he can't do anything there. And they just can't do anything, man. They're 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 tough to watch, and it's it almost seems like an inevitable three points when you play Salerno Tana. And uh, and it's it's unfortunate because you hope to have 20 competitive teams, and you certainly do not have one with Salerno Tana, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you, Anthony? Oh, man. Well, with Empoli, very, very impressive stuff. You love to see it. Pinamonte and Cotrone uh, doing well, leading the line, making sure that they press forward pretty well. And, you know, with 27 points already from 19 games, unless they have a really, really serious dip in relative strength to the rest of the table, you can almost guarantee that they'll stay up, although I won't choke, completely say that uh, just yet. Bologna, tough as nails, under a tough as nails manager, um, but, you know, pretty much going to sit in that meaty part of the curve all season where they struggle to break down teams. But at the end of the day, nothing really too much to worry about. Torino under Juric, we knew would improve. And, uh, you know, finding a way to get these results without Belotti, very important moving forward for the club as well. Um, but as Frank said, you know, their defense has really been the shining light. Unfortunately, I think they stand to lose uh, their best defender, pro- probably for a free transfer um, if he does run down his contract, which is looking likely for Bremen now. Uh, for Verona, very impressive for Igor Tudor to, to come in after being assistant manager to Andrea Pillo to Juventus last season. And, you know, in his first game for Verona, being able to, to outmuscle Juve as well was fantastic. He's only got one win in his last five games, um, which has seen him slip from outside the top, uh, you know, from that 10th position, 9th to 10th position down to 12th. But I think he'll be, they'll, they'll come good towards the end of the season. Sassuolo and Udinese, pretty much nothing to add what you guys said before. Sassuolo now losing Jeremy Borga to Atalanta for 20 million, you know, yeah. really, really sums up what the definition is to be a selling club. Um, and that's where they are in relative to Italy. They are a selling club. Um, still plenty of talent there to survive, you know, the likes of relegation or slip further down the ladder, but frustrating now, frustrating for the likes of Berardi as well, who surely will be looking at this season as his last at Sassuolo if he has any sort of aspirations um, moving elsewhere. Nothing much to say for Udinese, Terrorist FC. You lose the only pretty much creative spark as Depaul, and you're going to grind out results um, everywhere this season. Sampdoria... Rightfully so, went to Retiro at one point. I think it was about six or seven match days ago. The shining light for then, shout out to um, number 87, Antonio Candyman Candreva. I've still got his Inter jersey hanging up in my closet and he is in the peak of his career. I don't know how he's doing it at his age, but you know, one of those things where you play at a certain level, he had one season under Conte, made the Europa League final, came second. Perfect player to come into a team like Sampdoria. You're definitely seeing the years on Quagliarella this season. You hate to see it, but you are seeing it. So let's acknowledge it. 
Um, hopefully, you know, they can get enough goals to steer away from the relegation zone. I think they will because the teams after Sampdoria are the ones that are in most trouble. Venezia, every point is like a pot of gold. For as, lo- as long as they can get a point from now on in in most of their games, they will see it as a point that they will gain over the teams um, underneath them. What a story it will be to see Venezia. It's already a story of them coming up to Stadia. To see them survive their first season, that's something you want to be a part of, in my opinion. Um, I don't want to speak ill of clubs like Genoa and Cagliari, but my God, these two clubs have had it coming for four or five years now. They are whipping boys. And if either of these two survive relegation... I'll be pleasantly surprised, to be honest. I really don't think that they stand a chance. They look really poor. I know I skipped Spezia, and you know they're, they're just as bad as as them two there. But I think you could see some of these smaller sides like Empoli, Venezia, and Spezia count their blessings at the end of the season just because the relative strength is so poor. Genoa, you said it perfectly. You know, they, I don't think they scored a goal under Shevchenko for their first four games or five games. It's just, hmm. it's a really sad story. It's like seeing a lamb sent to the slaughter and I wish there was a betting market open for Ballandini joining back for Genoa because I've been on that for three weeks now asking people I'm like, where can I get a market for him to be re-signed um, as Genoa manager but it doesn't look like that'll happen. I hope they give Shevchenko some more time. As you said, a technical director has come in to steer the ship. Cagliari, it's a sad state of affairs. That team went into Retiro and basically told two veterans in Godin and Casares that you are a big reason as to why this club is not playing well and moving forward and you know it had to be hit hard because on paper it looks like an attractive team in theory but when you look at the age of some of these players and the output that they're actually giving and whether they're bothered to give it in a retiring place like um like Sardinia the problems are pretty much all that we've outlined Salernitana, as sad as it's just so super sad. It's sad to the point where, you know, Lotito has to meet with the other 18, not 19, because he, he owns two of the clubs, 18 um, presidents of Serie A, and most of them, you know, feel sorry for him or, you know, are corrupted to feel sorry for him and give him a sort of extension uh, to find an owner six months. I, it sounded as stupid as it was because I think that's been vetoed about a week later because everybody realized Salernitana was going down to B. You can't really say stuff like that because, yeah, Inter whipped Salernitana 5 0, but. Boys, that was like three days after this meeting happened. You know, basically every Salernitana player is looking at that going, I want to leave, leave in January. This is dead time. I'm living a dead career over the next 19 match days at a club like this. So very sad to see guaranteed three points against Salernitana for almost any side now. Yeah, I mean, so that's that. That's those teams summing up. I just want to quick, before we get into our teams, I want to just get into a, a few quick transfer whispers. We kind of talked about the Lorenzo Insigne situation. Going to Toronto FC, there's whispers that Andre Belotti could be going there as well. I don't know how much weight I'm going to put on that just yet. Um, I'm just kind of scrolling through some things from Fabrizio Romano at the moment. Um, it looks like Sven Botman is probably not coming to Milan, and Milan are going to be in search of a center back. Um, a couple of days ago, uh, he tweeted out that De Marzio said that Milan are considering Abdu Diallo. Uh, from PSG as an option. Uh, just depends on PSG and then depends on the price tag. Sven Botman, by the way, could end up at Newcastle United with all the money that uh, is about to be splashed over there with the new ownership. Um, uh, Genoa uh, looks like they're getting Sylvan Hefty from Young Boys. That'll be Andrei Shevchenko's first signing. Right back, um, pretty useful player. Uh, watched him a handful of times in the Champions League. Uh, not a bad get for them. Um, and I think that that is the extent of what I'm seeing. I mean, it's only getting started, though. Yeah. Um, you, you Inter- mentioned Boga to Atalanta, right? So that's uh, that'll be a big one. Interesting because they have so many attack- so much attacking players over there. Where would he yeah. exactly fit? I mean, you could see a, using a player because he's a fantastic player. I would love to have him in Milan. But 
where would he fit exactly on that team? And, you know, it's already hard enough to get Muriel, who's a freaking fantastic goal scorer, to get a, get a start. How is Boga going to get a start? You know, where are they going to fit? And you got Golson's coming back, too, on the left-hand side, which Jeremy Boga likes to play on. Will they, will, he, will they work together? I mean, it's it's a lot of questions. I'm sure Gasparini can figure it out because he takes he takes anybody and makes them even better than they already are. So I'm just it's hard for me to wrap my head around where he would play. I, I would love to see him on there because he's going to be even be better, but I can't see exactly where he would fit in that lineup. Uh, Anthony, your club, Inter. Uh, Andre Onana looks like he's uh, arriving on a free for the 22-23 season per Sky Sport um, and is now huge. Um, among uh, among other clubs interested in Matthias Ginter as a potential free agent, uh, who he, Ginter currently playing for Borussia Mönchengladbach, um, so adding some depth to the defense there. Um, Roma are in talks for art with Arsenal for uh, Ainsley Maitland Niles um, loan loan to buy is what they're trying to get to. Um, it looks like Ricardo Calafiori is leaving to join Cagliari on loan. Sorry for him. Um, <laughs> new ca- <laughs> Napoli are looking for a new center back. Axel Twanzebe is considered as a candidate only if Man United will consider a loan with buy option. Um, uh, Fenerbahce center back Minjai Kim is also appreciated by Napoli. Looks like Napoli wants to bolster uh, the middle of their defense. As I mentioned, Hefty looks like he's going still on Hefty. Uh, Swiss international right back going to be Andrei Shevchenko's first signing at Genoa. Uh, that should be uh, that should certainly be an improvement um, for the Grifone. And uh, that is it from what I am seeing of the most recent. Any uh, reaction to anything you guys uh, heard there? I'll let the guests go first. Um, not really from an inter standpoint, you know, just being able to lock up the Onana deal is what a lot of us fans will mean. Me definitely wanted to hear because yeah. it's not, it's not so much as Handanovic's slip ups and mistakes. And trust me, there've been plenty of them in the last few years, but it's just more so has the club acknowledged this and has the club actually gone and taking care of the business uh, side of this because being left in that sort of limbo, you know, because I couldn't go another season with Handanovic starting. I said it at the start of the season. It's all well and good when you've got Conte and you piss the league by five games. You can afford to make a couple of mistakes here and there. But this season, um, I, you know, it wouldn't be the case. And he has had some better games this season. But I think this season, just like last season, real testament to Inter's back three um, that, that Handanovic has been able to pull these clean sheets sort of numbers and these sort of numbers. Uh, in terms of getting to bolster up the defense for Ginta, I think it's a good upgrade on a player like Andrea Ranocchia, who I'd always be happy to have at the club. But if I'm just speaking with no emotional bias, now is a very mature time to phase this sort of player out, unless you really, really want him there for sentimental reasons, in which case I don't think Inter is acting like that at the moment. I think it's a little bit more business as usual in this club. Um, with elsewhere in reactions, I'd be very interested to see if any of these uh, swallow forwards go on loan with an optional obligation. They need money. I know that for a fact. They really need some money. So it's not about whether their ego gets in the way and says, oh, we don't want Skamaka gone in January, even though I think Skamaka is going nowhere in January. Their hands might be tied. However, I don't think Juventus have that sort of bargaining power at the moment to pull him away in January. If it's going to be any of the Sassuolo attackers, it's probably going to be Raspadori. And if that, in that if that's the case, then I do think Inter would lead the charge purely because he's an Interista fan from birth and he wants some more minutes as well. Me personally, I don't think either of them are leaving Sassuolo in January, but one, if not both, are out at the end of the season. Other than that, I can't comment on much because I think it'll be a very quiet January Mercato, to be honest, for most, if not all teams. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see. I, mean, I think that Onana deal is going to be a fantastic deal for Inter. They needed a, a goalkeeper to take the reins, if you will. And Onana is a fantastic keeper. He he made it to the what semifinals of the Champions League not too long ago. Um, he's really good at the distribution. He's good at, at the at the reaction of saves. So I think he'd be a quality goalkeeper for them and for the long for a long time as well. Um, we obviously know Milan needs a center back with Kiar down for six the entire season really, um, and someone to partner up with Tamori Romagnoli. It's good in, in, in spurts, but he's one-on-one. He is not that very good, uh, and it's shown many times against some of the skilled attackers in the league. He can't handle or someone who has a little bit of muscle. He can't handle it. So unless he gets really better, I, I, they need to bring in a defender to, to partner up with Tamori, who's having a fantastic year for really his first full year in the league outside of you know last year. Um, and some of the other moves, I mean, I think it'll be an interesting Mercato. I think it will be quiet. I do think Milan will make some moves because I think their intentions of winning of going for the Scudetto is going to be serious. So they will make some moves. Need center back, need some depth, maybe another striker, an heir apparent, maybe to to Zlatan. Um, I think oh, so Atalanta is probably going to make some moves. Napoli, I think, will be quite. I think Juventus will make some moves. If if Allegri had, if Allegri and Juventus have any any serious intentions of making top four. They need to buy some midfielders. I mean, say what you will about McCanny and Bentancourt and Rabiot and some of these guys, but outside of Locatelli, you really can't rest your head on any of those guys. You know, they have good so, moments. Go who's available in January, though, Richard, that can really level them up at the moment? That, that's a tough one to ask. They've, you'd need cash that they don't really have. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. Now they're tied up with this possible, you know, uh, transfer gate or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, yeah. people, more eyes are going to be on them than, than before. So it'll be tough. Yeah, they need players, but I don't know if they can pull it off. Yeah. Barcelona's broke, but apparently they found fifty-five million to get fed on Torres. So, yeah, it, yeah explain to me how this all works. Yeah, so I don't know if they find it in their couch cushions, uh, yeah. or or what, but who knows? Swiss bank account. Um, but yeah, uh, it's uh, it's just what it is. The silly season will be upon us, January first. It's all going to start. Uh, it's all going to start happening. Me personally, I mean, yeah, Botman would have been nice to get, but when you look, when I mean, and this is the issue that you run into um, when you're a Milan, when you're any team in Serie A, is like if a player attracts your attention and he's play, but he keeps playing better for the club, and eventually the clubs that have more money than you are also going to be interested. And you know, Newcastle United say what you want about the ownership and where the money is coming from; they're going to buy whatever they want. Uh, you know, to get out of the mess that they're in. And, you know, one of the things they're going to do is they're going to take a look at, well, who who is Milan possibly linked to? Because you see the business that Maldini's done over the last couple of years said, oh, he wants he he wants Botman. Well, we've got more money than Milan. Too. We're going to go and buy him. So and we're going to be able to, out, you know, they're going to be able to outbid just about anybody. That's why, you know, for years under you know, Berlusconi and Galliani, um, you know, when they had the power, when they had the financial power, the, the one of the beauties about them and in, in 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 the transfer markets was everything was close to the vest with them. You didn't hear a lot of rumors about them. The only time you get is when it when the only time you would start to hear something rumor wise was when it was like this close to being over the line, and it really wasn't going to be any eleventh hour changes. You know, um, so those ways are. I mean, but now in an era of social media and you know. All it takes is one person to all of a sudden go to Twitter and say, yeah, yeah, this club's interested in my client or this club's interested in in this guy or that guy or that sort of thing. It's kind of changed the landscape a little bit. So, um, you know, but 
We'll see. It's uh, I'm with Anthony. I don't think a whole lot of business is going to get done concrete here in January. I think you'll see some loans. I think you'll see some mild movement here and there. I feel that I feel bad for Calafiori. Um, good thing is, is that he's not going there permanently, but <laughs> Calafiori could use him. He's better than Dalbert. Um, so uh, he's going to get a chance to play just about every game. So I got Anthony laughing. Dalbert, he, he, how, you, 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 you lived through that misery. With how Dalbert, dare you slander you? the name that is <laughs> Dalberto Carlos. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, awful, awful. Uh, that's just one of many wingback and fullback rotations that have not worked out for Inter whatsoever. That's an embarrassing one. Yep. So, so those are the, those are the news on the transfer windows. So let's, uh, let's start handing out some awards. Good, bad, and good, bad, and under the radar. How, how does that sound guys? All right. Well, let's start with the worst first and then work, make it better as they go as we go on through. What do you think? Sounds good to me. So the annual midseason crap on a cracker team. Uh, <laughs> and this is why we call it that. Richard just randomly said that on a on one of our episodes a few years back, and we just decided that's what we're gonna name our flop eleven. Yeah. Now let's just let's set the ground rules and let's remind everybody of how we arrive on our crap of the cracker team. You had to have actually played a decent number of games and you had to have actually proven that you went out there and sucked. Um, this is not someone transferring to another team and just going to their bench. We know that there's a lot of places that will, well, he never even saw the pitch. He's automatically in our flap 11. No, you got to take the time, watch the games, watch these guys get multiple games, watch them consistently be poor and you get into this team so um we're going to start in goal and our goalkeeper comes from one of the seven sisters pepe reina of lazio guys um no brainer some just mind-boggling performances you could almost put if you're including europa league games you could make a case for Thomas Dracosha and that mistake against Galatasaray on match day one. Oh. But since that's Europa League and not Serie A, he gets a pass. But who doesn't get a pass? Pepe Reina, who's showing his age. Um, miserable in just about every appearance he made for Lazio in goal and uh, is our goalkeeper on crap on a cracker. Yeah, he's just been uh, he's been god awful, honestly. And you look at he's given up a lot of goals. And you granted it's a team game. Ardero has given up a tremendous amount of goals, but for a team that's expected so much, Lazio, you know, one of the seven sisters, one of the team that's supposed to be challenging for the top four, um, he's has been a cause for them losing games. I mean, I think at least two goals have been his fault. That uh, but directly his fault where he made a mistake and it was a goal, uh, and in so many other places where he mispositioned or didn't. It's just not been good at all all season long. And because of his poor performance, Tarkosh has actually got a second chance now, if you will, with Lazio. And he's been playing – he's taken his opportunities and run with it. Um, but it's because of his horrible inconsistencies, uh, Pepperoni. He's definitely shown his age, and that's probably the main reason, right? He's had a great career, but I think it's time that, you know, maybe he just uh, let someone else take the reins a little bit longer. Uh, Anthony, with thoughts on um, Mr. Pepperoni? I thought I think he has been consistent, consistently shit for the last two years. <laughs> he is absolutely awful. He just he's an athlete that wants nothing more to do with sport but the paycheck. He's just unfit. When he dives, he looks slow, his reaction time's poor. Like this is the sort of guy like I don't know how long he's got left on his contract, but this is the sort of guy that agrees to cut ties at the end of a season like this. Indeed, indeed. I don't think we need to say that we we're gonna we, we don't need to say anything more about them. We you know, yeah. let him 
Let's try to spare them a little bit of embarrassment. We're going to play a four-man defense, and it's not going to matter because <laughs> we're going to give up a lot of goals. <laughs> so our four-man defense, we arrived at right back Gabriele Zappa of Cagliari, uh, Maya Yoshida of Sampdoria, and Adama Sumo, Sum. God, I get this wrong every time. Sumaro, Sumaro of Bologna, and Dalber, who we just spoke of, of Cagliari. Cal- Debelter Carlos, to m- much to Anthony's chagrin, gets into the crap on a cracker team. Um, Gabriele Zappa has made eight appearances and has been brutal in every single one of them. Maya Yoshida is just not shown his age. He's shown his age. He's easily getting beaten. Uh, Sumaro is a red card waiting to happen. Um, and often is. And for his physicality and for some of his attributes, it's kind of shocking that he, that he underperformed so much. Uh, and Dalbert, I mean, he's shit. I mean, it's just like he's a a journeyman in this league for a reason. He's gone to uh, – he must have compromising pictures of presidents of Serie A clubs. And that's hard to do because most of the – most of the, the – the private lives of these Serie A presidents are pretty public. <laughs> I mean, yeah. compared to some of the other countries. So he must have some really damning pictures to continue to get on teams and get pitch time in Serie A. Let's talk about this trash heap of a back four. <laughs> oh, they, they would just be like the Red Seas is parted open ways, right? I mean, they've been all so bad for the respective team. There's some other there's some honorable mentions out there too, but you know, these these four have been horrifically bad and their teams have been bad because of it. Yoshida's on a fairly decent team, but as you mentioned, he gets beat very easily and in some games over and over. They they know that he's a weak point when he's out there and they go after him. And it's it's unfortunate because it's a guy I've watched for a long time with Southampton as well. And so I'm very familiar with him, but uh, yeah, he's shown his age, and it's, it's unfortunate. He's just, you know, like like Reina, you know, sometimes you just have to realize it's time to move on, and uh, maybe he's just there to get his paycheck. I don't know, but it's it's time to move on from from Rashida, I think, unfortunately. Oh, horrible, horrible back four. Um, I really liked a couple of the honorable mentions that we were thinking of. So I'll say like we had Ranieri in, I know Richard said Ranieri there, but is it really his fault? The short answer is no, long answer no. is no, it's not It's not his fault. But <laughs> yeah. it is, It is. in my opinion, it is for Cagliari, it is players like Casares and Diego Godin's fault, to be honest. And that's why I think those yeah. two would be good honorable mentions to slot in there because at a time where you're looking for leadership and experience, both of them have offered absolutely none. Yeah. Godin trying to keep up with uh, Lautaro Martinez on on the one goal that Martinez scores is everything you need to know about where Godin is at in his career, and it's a, and it's tragic to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, Caliari's still willing to give him a paycheck, so if he still feels like playing, more power to him. Yeah. Um, Three man center midfield, all of these guys are garbage. Um, Alessandro Diola of Caliari. Stefano Storaro of Genoa and Francesco Di Tacchio of Salernitana. Francesco Di Tacchio in particular has had 15 games to show how awful he is. Um, I mean, you run right through Salernitana's midfield and he's a reason why he can't even tackle. Um, Stefano Storaro. I don't even know what he is anymore. Um, You know, in the past, in the past, we've seen him be pretty good. Um, He's just kind of out there now. Diola is just, every time I watch Diola play, it's, it's, that's the guy I want to go after if I'm ever co- if I'm ever coaching a team against Cagliari. So this is a brutal this is as brutal as it gets for a three man midfield. And, and we talked about guys like Bakayoko and some of these other underperforming Locatelli for Juventus. They're still not this bad. They're just not yeah. playing well for the teams that they're you know for the better teams. Yeah. There's a difference. 
Um, these guys are all, these guys are awful. They've shown nothing that they're going to get any better. So we're at least with Bakioka and Locatelli, we've seen, we've seen when they can possibly be okay. So, I mean, we haven't seen it yet from Bakioka this year, but Locatelli's slowly starting to get back, get himself into it a little bit here. But I think that this is the, this is the, this, this is the worst of the worst as far as midfielders are concerned. Yeah, and I think the the the, well, the Salernitana and the Cagliari player there they go without a saying right because their teams are so bad. But Sturado, he was actually fairly decent last year, and then this yeah. year there's been a tremendous drop off with him, and and it's really been kind of appalling with him how bad he's been. And granted, the whole team has been bad; they can't score a goal to save their life. But um, you expect players like Sturado and Pandev and some of these stalwarts, uh, Crescito, who've been there a while, can to take the leadership and run with it. And they're he's not doing it at the moment, and uh, mm-hmm. you know it's unfortunate because. Genoa really need a player like him to step up and, and kind of lead that midfield, and he's not doing it at all. That's a, he's one of the reasons that they're struggling so bad. Yep. No real comments that you boys haven't made already. I think underwhelming-wise, obviously, you can look at Locatelli, but you know he's just nowhere near as bad. We're talking about the worst players in the league in their position and you know reasons why these relegation-bound teams are struggling. Um, I would say out of the three that we've mentioned, Storaro is the most disappointing one of the lot in context to how we know he can perform. And... I'm struggling to add anything on top of the crack of crackers that you've already said about this midfield. It's it really is the worst of the worst in Serie A, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, and then uh, two kind of wide attacking. I don't know what they are. Um, Christopher Askildson of Sampdoria and Frank Ribery of Salernitana makes our crap on a cracker team. Christopher Askildson is the guy that has to be the you know has the challenge of. Stepping in for Mikel Damsgaard, who is injured for Sampdoria, and all he does is run around and foul people. Um, Frank Ribery is supposed to be the creative spark for Salernitana to give them some kind of hope. And in 19 <laughs> games, he has no goals, two assists. Um, and then finally, up front, Simi of Salernitana. Um, you know, he's kind of now become the Yayalo of uh, Serie A, that wherever he goes, that team gets relegated. Because yeah. Yayalo is now. He's been a, he's he's kind of stuck at Udinese for a while, and Udinese is not going anywhere. So, uh, and and part of it is because the Udinese coaches are smart to not play him ninety minutes all the time. So, um, but that's our attack or lack thereof. Ribery, Simi, Askildson. Uh, well, Askildson, why he's partially why he's so bad is because his mentor is probably Yoshida, and that's probably not a good mentor to have, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> fouling left and right. Uh, but, you know, re- the two Salernitana Why doesn't he learn from Morton Thorsby? Or, I don't know. Thorsby's good. Thorsby's pretty good. No, he is good. There's some good players on that team, but I don't know. I don't know. But the two Salernitana boys, they're disappointing. Ribéry obviously has the, the history, and, and he's you know been a glorious player in his career. But for me, of the two, Simi is the one that is really disappointing because I had such high expectations with him. He's been – I mean, if he could score 15 goals with, with Crotone – and they were bad, god awful. I would expect him he could at least get his goals, not maybe not 15, but at least 10. I mean, he's got one goal, I think, this year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually doing nothing for them, and and it obviously doesn't ha- does it help to have you know Ribery doing nothing, and the team is just struggling offensively. And granted, you got you, you probably want to put some of the responsibility on the rest of the team and not be able to feed him, but you know, he found ways to get goals with Crotone. And granted, you had Messias and some other guys on his team, but um, still. Him not being able to get anything for Salernitana, I thought he was just at least going to get poaching kind of goals, and he couldn't even get that. Uh, so that he's been the big biggest disappointment of the front three for me. Anthony, I don't know how you feel about him, Ribery, and Eskilson. 
Oh man, pretty much the, the three most disappointing attackers, especially Rubudi and, and Shimi for me, because you can make an excuse for one of them, but it's both of them on the same team, on the same pitch. Like, you know, figure something out. I, th- I thought they would figure something out. Uh, I think Rubudi, probably on top of everything, is probably the most pissed off. He probably figured he was doing a semi-favor to a place like Salernitana, coming there and being like the spearhead for them <laughs> forward. And now he, now he just feels like, what's going on? You, you guys are getting like relegated behind my back without even trying. Am I supposed to just put on a smile and pretend like I'm in Enjoying this vacation, you know this guy played majority of his career at Bayern Munich, where winning yeah. is the is the least the least expectation. Don't be surprised if at his ripe age of what is it, 37, 38, something like that. Yeah. He yeah he, he still wants to make a name for himself, and he's probably thinking to himself, hold on, I could still walk into half of the mid table clubs, not only in this league but in some other leagues as well. I might care more about my stature. I think he could be he could be a surprise sale in January. You never really know. Um, in terms of what's happening there. Simi, very disappointing at the same time, but this Salernitana team just looks shot. I really don't think they can come come back and score many goals as well, and they'll probably have this title when you do your end-of-season review. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So that is as bad as it gets. I don't even know. I don't, I, I don't even want to go into who got snubbed. Um, it's just, you know, let's... This is the 11. This is the worst possible 11. This is what we think is the worst possible 11 we can put together based on what we saw. Juventini, you've been spared. Yep. No Bernadeschi on this list. He's been he's been on there the last couple seasons. He played his way out Chiesa of it. Chiesa could have been on this list anyway. Uh, I don't know about that. One goal. One goal. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Relative to, if you want to – if you want to – if you want to say that relative to expectation, that's fine. Yes, yes. But – uh, yeah, but, but, but no, I mean I – even even at his worst, he's not worse than Ribery, um, right. you know. So that's that's that, that's what you got to look at it at. So we're gonna throw in an eleven that we haven't done before. It's called the "You Better Know Eleven, um, and uh, the I wanted to do this because the criteria for this, and, and Richard and I have prided ourselves if we haven't, um, uh, you know, if we haven't, uh, you know, done anything else. Well, we at least have been reasonably successful at finding, you know, getting ahead of the game on players that we, Hey, we should watch out for this guy. We should watch out for that guy. Um, and seeing them perform, seeing them do well. So that's something that we take a lot of pride in at city. I sit down really diving in to, to what these teams have and who these players are and, you know, and that sort of thing. So uh, one major criteria is that if to, to be on this team, you can't be, playing for one of the so-called seven sisters, because those are the most visible teams. Everybody knows who those players are, uh, you know, and they're discussed at length. Okay. So you're on any of the remaining teams in the Serie A and you're not the commonly named players. So in, in, in other words, you know who Dusan Vlaovic is, you know who Arnautovic is of Bologna, you know who Berardi is of, of Sassuolo. Okay. Uh, you, you somewhat know these guys. We know Delofeo of Udinese, so we can't really necessarily put him on this list. We know Cristito of, of Genoa, okay? You know, so we're trying to dig in and find the names of the guys that, hey, start paying more attention to these guys because they might be on a seven-sister team or somewhere else at some point. Might. Some guys might not. They might be staying with these teams. They maybe played their way into this team now, and then they might end up in the crap on a cracker team. So, these are the 11 that you better get to know pretty quickly. And we're going to start in goal. Uh, Guglielmo Vicario of Empoli. Uh, three clean sheets on the season. A huge part of Empoli's success and surprise this season being in the top half of the table. 
Um, I wrote up Empoli as a team that I was worried about them defensively, but Vicario has, but he, he has shown this form at when he was at Cagliari, which is his parent club. Um, but he is certainly turning that on now here at Empoli uh, and has been very good. Um, let me get into the back four and then we can talk about this as a collective. Right back was the toughest position for me to find. In the end, I landed on Nahua Molina of Udinese, um, who love his skills. Okay, first of all, defensively, he's not going to hurt you in terms of fouls. He doesn't commit a lot of harsh fouls. He tackles reasonably well. It's what he can offer you going forward. He crosses the ball well. His technique is good. Um, he's been on the end of some assists. He scored some goals. Um, he's been kind of a key player in Udinese's, let's call it stability, uh, in Serie A this season. Um, <clears throat> Sebastiano Luperto of Empoli. Um, he was at Napoli under Carlo Ancelotti and was in a situation where he was thrown to the wolves and at a time where just, let's just face it, clearly not ready for it. Okay. Now he has come to a place like Empoli. There's not as much pressure. He's been able to settle himself and he's been able to turn in some good performances. Part of the Empoli effort that got a clean sheet against Napoli, his former team. Um, you know, so that's something to feel good about. Now, <clears throat> does this mean he gets better, the the the, the lights, and then it's time to go back to the bright lights. He might be a shining example of one of those guys that's just going to be good at one of these provincial clubs and don't ask him to go to a bigger team. So we'll see. Um, there's always talk about Milenkovic at Fiorentina, but I want to put the attention on Lucas Martinez Quarta of Fiorentina. I like his range passing. He can hit long passes. I like his defense as a compliment to Milinkovic, who can he can provide cover, he can win a tackle, uh, he can get a little bit reckless at times. But what center back doesn't, um, you know? And, and overall, is proving to be a really, really solid player and kind of one of these quiet performers uh, to Fiorentina's success. All the attention is on guys like Blaovic, some of the attackers. And when you think about the defense, you mainly think about Milenkovic, but I think this is the time to give Martinez Quarta some attention. And then the left back position was a slam dunk for me. Aaron Hickey of Bologna, um, four goals this season. We flirted with putting him on the squadra finora. Um, an attacking influence for Sinisa Mihalovic's side. Like to see him be a little bit better in the defending and on the tackle. Um, but what he can offer going forward in a setup like this is, is is too good to turn down at this left back position. So let's talk about those five to get started. They're a fantastic back five, uh, Anthony. I think uh, the goalkeeper Vicario has been fantastic this year. He's been really he's had some big games where he has had numerous amount of saves. Empoli's yep. uh, defense plays fairly well, but he's come up big. And also that back four that Frank mentioned, some good players in there that not too many people are talking about. Soyanovic is another one you can throw in there from Empoli also. Uh, those are some really good players back there that are starting to get some traction around there. Hickey's probably the most notable of the, of the back four or back five, really. But uh, what are your thoughts on the, on those back five? Yeah, I like him, man. I really like Vicario this season. He's really, really doing everything he can to make sure he earns a move and stays in that top flight for a while because, and who knows where consistency could take him. Surely, maybe like Frank said, he could be one of those players that flies off the radar a little bit. I've got a little bit more faith in him. I think as a goalkeeper, you can really make your stamp and you've got really unlimited options around the world. When clubs need a goalkeeper, it shows that they really need a goalkeeper. So have one good season and you might just earn that really good move. I'm really glad Frank brought up Martinez because, you know, he's 25. He's not exactly the youngest player, but I've 
I've been really impressed with him this season in Fiorentina, and I think he's actually made Milenkovic look a little bit better than most people are saying um, as well, just by having that really good partnership. And as you said, Hickey, I think he's only 19, is he? 19, 20 years older. He's got a good future, man, if he can stay mentally disciplined. So very happy with, with that back line, to be honest. Okay. Let's get into this. Let's keep this going here because uh, I know we've been spending a lot of time. Um, moving into the holding midfield, two players there. Uh, the, the obvious one is Davide Fratesi, who we have talked about a lot here on City. I sit down of Sassuolo. Um, I was hooked on this guy from his first game uh, playing against Hellas Verona. Sassuolo needed a replacement for Manuel Locatelli. They bring him in from Monza. They plug him right in. And at least at that position, they don't miss a beat. Um, he is providing virtually everything that Locatelli provided. Uh, and is a lot cheaper than Locatelli. So um, he's eventually not going to be. <laughs> so uh, he keeps this up. He's going to land at a bigger club, and I think that he is going to thrive at a bigger club. But for now, I mean, scoring goals, creating goals, winning the ball, great box-to-box, a lot of range to his game. Um, really impressed with what I've seen from him in the first half of the season. And I'm complimenting him with Wallace of Udinese. And I know last week, Richard, we talked about Makengo. Yep. Wallace is the hard man of that Udinese midfield from box to box. This is yeah. the guy that you're not looking to spend the 80 to 85 million on to bring to your club. This is the guy that has his lunch pail, has his hard hat, has his little time card, punches it in, gets right to work, wins the tackles, gets a little reckless at times. I get it. Um, but gives the freedom to a guy like Arslan in that midfield to be able to have some have some range and have some attacking ability. But I really like what he does in a defensive midfield role. Um and 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 is a great compliment to Fratesi in a midfield like this. So Fratesi and Wallace is our holding midfield in this setup. Yeah, if you can't afford Anguisa, you go with Wallace, right? And there's no disrespect to Wallace because Wallace is a great player. There's not many people know about him yet. And so I think he is going to be uh a good player for a long time, and I think it's a matter of a matter of time before somebody snaps him up. And the Fratesi just slotted right in, and he's providing he's providing a lot. He's doing really good for Sassuolo at the moment. People want to say it's you know maybe Raspadori's helping out, or you know some of the other playmakers on that team that it's, are making him look even better. But I think he's a good player. He he reads the run, he makes the right runs, he makes the right plays, knows the right passes, makes the tackles when he needs to. He's a good player, and he's done it for a while. It's not just like his first year. You talked about doing it at Monza. He did it at Monza last year as well. So um, yeah, both these players are starting to get attention now. Probably Fratesi more so than uh, Wallace at the moment because he's Italian and all the Italians are you know wanting him to team and you know with the Azzurri. But uh, don't sleep on Wallace. Wallace is a good player. He's the, he's that box to box player you need on your team to to succeed. Um, and a lot of the good teams have those type of players, and he's one that most teams would want. I think, especially the, the Seven Sisters. I like those two names. Um, a few names that I would have had for midfield, but they're not really really the defensive sort of holding players types. So anyone I could think of that might drop back a little bit is Pobega, who's on loan for you guys yeah. to Torino. He's having a really good season. But, you know, I think he was a little bit more known than some of the names we were mentioning yes. even last season. But I speak to a lot of Milan fans and a lot of them who've been disgruntled by the performances of Kessier have said, well, you know what? This is the sort of job that Pobega could have been doing if he was on mm-hmm. um, on the squad yeah. this season. So, you know, keep a really good eye out for him as well. Um, I, th- I think his name's uh, Svanberg. I know his face for... Bologna, he's actually having a good season as well. He He scored the winner against Verona recently. Keep an eye out for this guy, man, because he looks like he's got what it takes as well. 
Yep. Yeah, I, I no problem with the Svanberg shot at all. None. Uh, Mo, who's uh, you should follow. Mo, he's very he's great at doing tactical breakdowns. Uh, yeah, Anthony knows him. He asked a good question: Is it that Locatelli is overrated, or is that Fratez is actually very good? I don't think Locatelli is me personally. I don't think Locatelli is overrated. I think he's a very good player. I think he's struggling at Juventus at the moment, as yeah. is everyone else there. But I think Fratezzi is also good. Uh, he fits the system very well at Sassuolo, and he just. They're both good players. I, I I don't think anyone. I don't think Locatelli's a rated at all. I just think Fratesi is actually this good, uh, and I think if he makes that move to the bigger club, he will continue to do well. And I think both players, Locatelli and, and Fratesi, have long careers ahead of them. Uh, we obviously know Locatelli because we, he, you know, he's with Milan. He did very good with look at uh, with Sassuolo, and now he's at Juventus. But uh, it's not. I don't think he's overrated one one bit. However, I don't know what you guys think about Locatelli. No, I don't think he's overrated at all. I think he's just struggling to settle in at Juve. I think that. I think it's the system too. I think it kind of shackles the things. I mean, Sassuolo under did Zerbi with Locatelli there got to play with a lot more freedom. Um, where the midfield at Juventus seems a lot more limited. So, uh, so for me, it's not a, it's not an issue where Locatelli is overrated. I think it's the system is not, you know, the greatest fit for everything that he can do. Um, you know, just another another player that's an example of Juventus should try to evolve here. Um, you know, to what everybody else is doing. So. That's just where I'm at on Locatelli. What do you think, Anthony? Locatelli, I don't think he's overrated. Pretty much for the for the reason that you just mentioned there. He's not a technically gifted creative player. So what is he supposed to somehow resurrect a magic midfield under Allegri? That doesn't even make sense at sense as it's coming out of my mouth. It's stupid. So he will really rise when he's got the right chess pieces around him to make those sort of uh those moves, those moves around him. I'm sure Locatelli would be having a much better season with a Pjanic like midfielder in that mid, in that lineup at the moment. So his uh, time at Juve is still yet to come. There was also one other player I think we might have missed out on um, for Verona. Ivan Ilic is actually having a yes. pretty good season as well. Um, and he's a little bit more defensive. He used to play at left back, but he's sort of playing more as a defensive midfielder in this phase of his career. Yep. Almost put him in actually. So mm. Um, so I'm with you on Ivan Ilic. Uh, all right, so we've got a three-man attacking midfield. We're going to go with Josip Brekolo of Torino, uh, Nadine Bajrami of Empoli, and then Sofian Kien of Venezia, and then up top, Mattia Aramu of Venezia. So Brekolo is over on loan from Wolfsburg, so it's not sure how much longer we're going to have him. I hope that he stays and maybe catches on with another Serie A team. The man's a talent. Um, he's one of the few attacking pieces at Torino that's actually working. Uh, <laughs> good combination of creativity, uh, creating chances for others, creating his own chances. Um, always been high on his game. Uh, Bashrami I've been high on from the start of the season. Um, the, the guy's a tremendous uh, uh, range with his passing technique, chance creation. He's got four goals and two assists. And that might not seem much, but... Over 17 games, he's only playing on an average 55 minutes a game. So that's four goals and two assists over, what, 850 minutes, 800 and about 900 minutes. So um, that's not a bad, you know, as, as, from a per 90 standpoint, that's not bad at all. Um, so pretty influential player. And his game translates to when he goes to play for Albania. He does a lot of the same stuff there, too. Um, and then uh, Kiena Venezia, he's a Lazio Loni. We talked about him a little bit last time, Richard. Yeah. Um, he, he's got just about everything. And he, he operates a little bit on the left-hand uh, side there for Venezia. He can take the free kick. He's got, he's got good technique there. Um, he's a good passer of the ball, good chance creator. Um, you know, a guy who has, uh, you know, popped up and started to play well for this Venezia side and been a, a reason why they're hanging around and starting to collect some points. And then Aramu, 
five goals and three assists in 16 appearances, play this guy a little more. Um, you yeah. know, he can play as a striker. He can play as a 10. He's versatile in that sense. Um, but he's uh, he's put together a pretty good first half of the season as well. So for attackers, Josip Brekolo, Nedim Bajrami, Sofian Kien, who, okay, maybe he's a midfielder and not necessarily an attacking midfielder. And then Matija Aramo at forward. These are uh, – Venezia has some nice young players on our team. I mean, you, we, you can also mention Ericsson is very good. Uh, Thomas Henry is also doing very well for them. Yeah. And then, you know, Maxim Lopez, as Mo mentions in the chat, he's also very underrated coming from Marseille. Uh, there's some good pieces out there. Uh, and these, these, these four gentlemen that you mentioned, they, they have that little flashes of brilliance that you, that you look for in these players and hope to have uh, the bigger clubs to hope to sign. And I think all four of them have been uh, – Revelations for the teams almost, and and Breclo, one of the few shining spots that you talk about Torino with an offense that struggled so mightily. He's one of the few bright spots on their team. You know, Singles had a okay up and down season this this year as well. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I like the I like these these four guys, and I think this this top eleven or this you know you better know eleven. They would do very well in Syria, I think. The, the all eleven of them, I think they're very good pieces. Add in some of the people, uh, other names we mentioned. This could be a team that could challenge for mid table, maybe even the Europa League spot. This is a this is a good team. I like these inclusions, boys. I think um, when it comes to positions and talent, the, the, the better talent in Serie A in these positions is actually above the over 24-25 bracket, that's for sure. But then the names that you've mentioned are very, very good. I'll say, you know, keep a, uh, I'm a big fan of Hamad Traore as well. I know he's a little bit inconsistent this season, but I'd say just watch out for him in general, just based on his, his style of play. And who, who can leave out Daniele Maldini at the end of the day, man? I know he's not light and he's never going to light the world on fire like his nonno, let alone his dad, but... You got to put him in there, man. I'm still, I'm always hyped when I see him on the pitch because that's a really nice story. And for an Inter fan to say it's a beautiful story, it is a beautiful story. It is, but again, he's he's on a team. He's on one of the seven sisters, so yeah, he yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah, that's the only reason why we didn't. Okay, so that is our you better know eleven uh, for squad. But if you know it, we're all going to pick our own teams. Uh, so. Uh, we're going to let the guest have at it first, Richard, or I mean, not Richard, uh, Richard, you're not a guest. I'm the guest. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's almost, I talk so much on this podcast. Sometimes it's almost like you are a guest. Um, so, uh, uh, Anthony, you do the honors. Give us your squadra finora. All right. Well, thank you boys. It's been a, it's been a great show. It's been great to be here, but I would say that, you know, this season, you guys have made me come around. I had Mike Manyan in at, as the best keeper, but then when Richard said, you know, he hasn't played as often and you're putting Handanovic in there. If anyone listens to me on Inter Worldwide, I've spent the last three years pretty much bagging this dude out. And here I am on this boy's platform about to say, you know what, Handanovic probably is the best keeper of the season so far. I think a big testament has to go down to our back three. And that's, you know, moving on from there, I'm definitely putting um, Milan, Milan Skriniar in there. I think he's been an absolute colossus uh, this season, really showing why some of us fans have been saying for the last two, three years, if this guy was playing on Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, or any top 10 play. Uh, team in England, you'd be talking about him as one of the best centre-backs in the entire world. And I have absolutely no doubt about that. Tomori, what a signing for you guys. I think it's under 30 million altogether you paid for him. And if that's the case, then that's a really good steal that you've made for a centre-back that's going to go the distance at your club. For me, the the last three names that I would throw around are Bremer, Bastoni or Delict. I think for me, seeing that Juventus are fifth on the ladder, it takes Delict a little bit out of the conversation for me. However, I've seen Bastoni have a couple of rocky performances, so I don't know if I could put him in there. 
Bremer has been the driving force behind Torino's back line this season. I'm going to go for him. So back three for me, Skriniar, Tomori, and Bremer. I already mentioned it before. Candyman Kandreva. Wow. This guy's in the peak of his career, and he's pretty much keeping um, Sampdoria afloat at the moment. For me, Kandreva is, is the best right-sided player, right midfield, right wing back, whatever you want to call him in this is uh, Conte-esque 3-5-2 that we've got going on here. But Kandreva's the man for me in this formation. Uh, for the midfield... I'm going to be a little selfish here and say that um, Brozovic and Hakan as well both get there uh, for me. Hakan, for me, he's had maybe one or two games where we saw him a little shaky. One of those was against Real Madrid. Yes, I know, Richard, cover your baby ears. But at the end of the day, he's been more consistent for me than Barella. Um, so for me personally, Hakan gets in there. I know you gentlemen, just out of sheer pride, probably won't have him anywhere near even the bench. But that's okay. And the last um, midfielder for me, geez, I can't even remember who it was. I think it was Fabian. Fabian was in there for, for me as well. And he's just been a revelation um, under Spalletti this season. And I can't really go without putting a Napoli player in there. It just seems unfair. For the left-hand side, Grande Ivan Perisic. You know, I, I thought he was done at some point in his career at Inter. And, you know, I'm looking at my team. Am I being too biased here with the Inter players? The answer is no, because I really don't think there's a better left-sided player than Perisic so far this season. Um, I do think his form is destined to drop off a little bit towards the end of the season. And up front, no questions asked. Vlahovic, wow, for every superstition or for every scapegoat reason people made to not put him on a pedestal, he's proving it wrong this season. And for me, Giovanni Simeone has really found his club and found his tactics. He's he's really busted out there. So without giving any honourable mentions yet, that's my best 11 for the season so far. All right, that's Anthony's best eleven. I can't Very argue good. with him. can't argue with a lot of this. Richard, have at it. Yeah, yeah, no, I I kind of agree with that. Um, yeah, reason I didn't put Magnon in goal is because you know he was out injured for two months. He's been fantastic when he's been in goal. He's been you, you almost forgot about GGO when when he's in there. Uh, but he was gone for a good part of the season, so that's why I didn't put him in there. In my top eleven. Uh, I did put Handanovic for me. It was between Handanovic and Ospina. Uh, when you look at down a statistic, you know Handanovic's numbers look a little bit better than Ospina. They gave about um, same amount of goals, but Handanovic has faced a lot more shots uh, than than has Ospina. So that's why I put Handanovic in there. My back three, same as you, Bremer, Skriniar, and Tomori. All three have been fantastic this year. I, I think you had Delict in there, actually. Uh, but um, no, I, I think it's back three. Bremer's been a revelation for Torino, as we mentioned. Skriniar is a stalwart, and Tomori has had a, a, a blossoming of a year. Who would have thought a guy that they got for you know from Chelsea that nobody really knew about it, except for let's the Premier League guys comes in here and then takes control of that defense? Now he's been the the main guy outside of Chiara and and Romagnoli. So full credit to, to uh, Pioli for kind of developing this guy. My midfield, I'm gonna say my midfield five. All right, I'll start with the attacking midfielders first. Candreva, uh, I have to agree with you. Candreva is having a fantastic year, uh, best year of his career. He's just been. Scoring goals, getting assists. He's shown the flexibility of playing either side, really, but we, we know more as the right-handed uh, midfielder there. Uh, left side, I was going to go Teo Hernandez purely because he's got goals and assists, but he is a liability going defense, and so I, I can't put him in the top 11 because his liability. And I like – I was convinced by both of you and, and Anthony's agenda with Perisic. I have to agree with that. Perisic – almost a Perisic here. <laughs> Perisic uh, on the left wing. Perisic might be better than Teo in the, on the left wing too. Uh, but Perisic has been very good this year. Uh, he's had a bounce back year. He's a good player. He always has been. He just had a you know a couple of dips in years uh, when he came back with Inter. But I think he's a good player, and he's 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 going to be my left winger. Uh, my attacking midfielder is going to be Pasalic. Uh, Pasalic, he's got the best goal. Every, well, he has 
every 80 minutes or 88 minutes or so, he gets a goal or an assist. It's the best out of all the attacking midfielders in the league. Um, he just creates when he gets out there. He just is not out there often enough. Gasparini needs to play him more, but he's got a plethora of talent, so I guess he has to spread the wealth, right? But Pasolic has been fantastic this year. That's why he's my attacking midfielder. Barella is going to be one of my holding midfielders. Uh, what can work? He says, guy, he's been he's Mr. Everything for, for the Azzurri. He's Mr. Everything for Inter. Uh, he changes position just slightly with with under Inzaghi, and he still thrives under. He's not maybe getting the gold number that he gets, but he's he's still very integral for what you know Inter successes uh, during the year, and he clogs up that midfield, clogs up the opposition, so they can't do anything. So Brawl is a no brainer for me, and I have to put it because I think he deserves it. Hakan Chalanolu, he's 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 been very good for Inter so far. He's definitely worth the five and a half million that you know that he got paid for. Um, I don't know if he's worth eight million or whatever he wanted before with Milan, but he's been good. He's been not, not he's been setting up plays, getting goals, um, doing everything right. I mean, Inter are I think top in the league for set pieces because of him, either free kicks or corner kicks. He is doing he's he's just doing everything right for them so far, and maybe there'll be a different form. Who knows? But as of the first half of the season, he's been nothing but great for them, I think. And then um, looking at my top two. It's going to probably be the same for both of you guys. Uh, Simeone, revelation of a year, great year, 12 goals, two assists. Uh, he's just really finding his 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 form with with uh, Hellas Verona, and hopefully he continues for, uh, throughout the season because it would be a nice story for him. About time, a guy who's always had this potential that's never lived up to it, and now he's finally getting goals. Speaking of potential, Vlahovic, right? Leading the league, 16 goals. What more can you say that hasn't been said about him? Uh we, we, we begged on this show that he stay one more year at Fiorentina to really hone his craft and become that, that great striker we thought he could be. Thankfully, he listened to everybody else and said, yes, I'm going to stay, stay with Fiorentina. We don't expect him to stay much longer at Fiorentina. Uh, he's going to go somewhere and blossom really well. He's just he got, he's a 5-2 player, right? And, uh, and this is, when you see him coming down the pitch or in that box, you're worried that he's going to get a goal, whether he's going to leave the ball coming at him or not. And so that's my top 11 there. Awesome. Okay, and I'll move on to mine. Um, I, I am with you guys as far as the goalkeeper in the back three. And, and Mo's talking about a 4-4-2 diamond, and that's fine. If you've got a squad team of the half season, you want to do any formation you want, we usually, what we like to do is, okay, the team's in, team that's in first, what's their what's their main formation? And that's that's how we base it off of. And we also want it to be somewhat functional. So uh, I'm with you guys. Handanovic in goal, Skinny Atomori, Bremer for all the reasons that you guys have suggested, but I will go different with you on than you guys on the right wing back position. I am going Juan Cuadrado um, of Juventus um, in a, a a team that's struggling for creativity. Cuadrado has been constant. Okay, uh, he's got four goals, sometimes from a fullback position, sometimes from a wing back position. Um, you know, he's creating chances. He's generating crosses. Now, I don't. This is not a slight on Antonio Candreva. Okay, and I think that's one of the things we talked about before the program. You can kind of measure this and say, okay, if Candreva was playing for a contender right now, he's probably sitting with another five or six goals and another five or six assists with the season he's having. And I, this is purely on what Cuadrado has meant to a team. That where would Juventus be without Cuadrado? Um, I still think Sampdoria are where they are because of the defensive liabilities. Um, they're not there because they're not there because that they're all in on Candreva's performing, performing and, and creating all of this, that they're becoming a liability defensively. Um, so that is where I just narrowly put Cuadrado uh, ahead of uh, Candreva in that setup. I agree with you guys on Perisic. Um, on midfield, I'm going with Nicola Barella. 
Fabian and Chalhanolu. Uh, we've talked about all the reasons. I think Fabian's been an amazing uh, player for Napoli this season. I think that Barella has just been uh, been an excellent form for Inter. He's had the injury issues. He's having some, you know, probably some games where he's running on fumes. <clears throat> you know, uh, Brozovic narrowly misses out on my team of the se- you know half season. So does Pasolic. And then I'm with you guys on the forwards, Vlaovic and Simeone. I was ready to go to Vlaovic and Lotaro, but I what Simeone has done, 12 goals to assist, it can't be ignored. Um, you know, and Vlaovic is obvious, you know, for obvious reasons, leading scorer, 16 goals on the season, doing some amazing things for Fiorentina. I have a bench of Ospina, uh, of Napoli, Kandreva, Delict, uh, Brozovic, Pasolic, uh, Lotaro Martinez, and then I have Lorenzo Pellegrini of Roma. Uh, rounding out my bench. I know that he was injured over the last several games, but he was really a nice creative force uh, for Roma under Jose Mourinho before getting hurt. So those are our teams of the seasons. Let's get into the snubs. I named my bench. Um, Anthony, give me a couple of players that were really hard for you to leave off. It was hard for me to leave off Jekyll more so than it was for Lautaro because I think we were expecting Lautaro to come in and almost be a driving force in a role that Romelu Lukaku wasn't, even though they're not the same player, obviously. But for me, Jekyll at his age to come in and put up those numbers is really, really good. If I'm leaving out Bastoni in, in our defense, then I'm putting him on the bench uh, for sure. Pellegrini, even though he was injured when he has been there, has definitely been best on park in majority of his performances, in my opinion, for me. Um, I know Lazio have been quite poor this season, but I also wanted to give Pedro Rodriguez a shout because I personally, personally on camera rode him off as a player completely and it, it always sticks to you the players that you ride off publicly and then prove you wrong so even though he wouldn't make the bench I'd say he's one of those players that still performed better than I thought and Ospina also got in as my uh substitute goalkeeper yeah and for me real quick I got uh Ospina, Magnon and goal uh, definitely both of them Koulibaly obviously is a fantastic player uh and yeah there's a bunch of guys you mentioned Quadrado would have been uh, would have been a Quadrado as well yeah for me you know and some other guys too so yeah no, there's, there's quite a few players actually you could probably make a top 22 honestly with all this so <laughs> yeah there have yeah. been a lot of good performances throughout the first half of the season it's really hard to pick 11 there's sometimes where we do this where it's pretty much a, it's pretty cut and dry this time around there have been a lot of Good performances, good players. We're seeing a lot of quality in Serie A this season, which is which is good for the league. So um, those um, are our teams of the season. Go ahead, Richard. Well, no, I was going to say those are our teams of the season. And, uh, you know, I know Anthony has to has to run. Um, and we are appreciative of his time for sure. Yes. I'm appreciative he let me on his podcast earlier. Uh, but this is your time, Anthony. Uh, please plug away your podcast. Anything you want to plug, the, the floor is yours. Awesome, man. Uh, for all the for all the Inter fans out there, even if you're not and you want to keep track with what's going on, we try to stay very objective and bias-free. It's uh, Inter Worldwide. The Twitter handle is there, at InterWW. I also do some work on the Football Worldwide uh, platform and handle as well, so just search for that and you'll find it. And my personal Twitter handle is up there, at AnthPrivatera. Thank you so much, Frank and Richard. This was absolutely a pleasure to speak to you both today, and I'm sure we'll link up again in 2022. Oh, we had a blast. Uh, it's always fun, especially especially a podcast like this where we can kind of uh, put it all together and, and, and make sense of what just happened in the first half of the season. And uh, you, you did an awesome job here, Anthony. And yeah, we, we definitely are interested in getting you on again. Oh, Happy New thank Year. you so much. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Thank you. Ciao. Happy Ciao. New Year. Ciao. All right. That was Anthony from Inter Worldwide. Uh, Richard, we're not done yet. We've got a little bit of business. We've got one last 
Prize to fun. hang out. A little bit of fun. A uh, little bit of fun here, boy, boys and girls. It is time to name our we we, we kind of have a tweet of the season, a one culture tweet of the the actual like football calendar season yep. for Syria, but. This is the best of 2021. So this is kind of like the second half of 20, the 20, 20, you know, 2020, 2021 season, 2021, 2022, the calendar year, 2021, we hand out an award. Um, are we going to give him anything this I, we I think we, we gave, did last we, year. We gave uh, Don Dottie an award. So yeah, why not? Let's give we'll them some uh, swag. We can come we'll up with something. something. We'll do something for them. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So. Um, these are the best tweets of 2021. These and we will before, determine. Before Gretchen you begin, play. and before you begin, I want to give an honorable mention because this is one that laughed, made my laugh, made both of us laugh. Really, uh, it's from uh, Inter Haiti, where it was a picture of the Inter boys at practice, all smiling, and he goes, "What fuck are you also happy about?" Had <laughs> <laughs> me die. I didn't get the vote numbers, but it was one of the most memorable tweets of the year for me. Anyway, so anyway. honorable mention. Yeah, no honorable doubt about mention. it. Okay, so these are we had ten of them, right? And and we were ten or eleven the yeah. ones that were the most uh liked correct so, all right take it away all right coming in first uh in our in our tweets of the year nominations uh uncle sharma and it's a tweet with vidal and pirla and goes we haven't even paid our wages in september bro you got beat by a team of volunteers <laughs> <laughs> nicely done oh goodness okay so uh, moving on to Parasnitch and his uh, lovely interrelated Valentine's Day cards for you guys to use. Thank me later. I miss you more than I miss a shot on goal from Lataro Martinez. <laughs> Seeing you makes my knees weak from uh, Stefano Sensi. Uh, your smile is the only thing that moves me from Sami Handanovic. I would sit on the bench all day with you with Christian Eriksen. Seeing you makes my heart race faster than me from Ashraf Hakimi. Meeting you was not a mistake <laughs> from Alexander Kolonov. <laughs> my heart is not the only thing going big for you. Oh, gosh. From Romelu Lukaku. Uh, you crock my world from... Is it Thor uh, no, maybe, maybe, maybe it's Brozovic. I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> My love for you is more real than my hair from Antonio Conte. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Parisnich in the in the house here. Great stuff. And he won he won the tweet of the year for the season last year. So he is the uh he's going for it. He's going for a double dip. Going for the double dip. All Speaking right. of double dip, uh next one is from Napolinissimo and it says, uh the admin of the Juventus women's account. It's Leonardo <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness. Goodness me. All right, on to uh, Samo underscore 33X. Daniel Maldini played Champions League football before Gianluigi Notaruma. <laughs> True story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, next one comes from uh, Martino, and it says, uh, Parasnitch, when he forgets to switch accounts, <laughs> it's the first at the Milan-Venezia game. Oh. <laughs> uh. All right, uh, moving on. We now have uh, at Bresing R, Bernardeschi al Calcio di Inizio di Juventus Chelsea. Um, and this was uh, this was when he scored at the uh, kickoff, right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Bernardeschi at the kickoff of uh, Juventus and Chelsea <laughs> in, a, in a dress. <laughs> Not bad. I, this was probably one of the ones that I wasn't on. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was this was uh, Rocco and I were on that one. 
Uh, so this one is uh, it's Pavel Nedved leaving Torino when he finds out about the uh, about the GDF runner after him. It's <laughs> 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 <Just> running, <laughs> running away. I remember that one. That was good stuff. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Very that's nice. Good. Oh, All right. Uh, so now we have got, oh, yes, uh, we've got our friend Esistencialinte. Il Milan contro Sheva, the Inter contro Tiago Mota, la Juve contro il Publico Ministero, Giornata, la nostalgia. Milan against Sheva, Inter against Tiago Mota, Juve against the Public Prosecutor, Nostalgia Day. Oh, the Giants <laughs> came out hard with this one. Yes, All right. Wow, that got 5,343 likes. Yeah, yeah. So. This one got uh, quite a bit of likes too as well. This comes from Jipo uh, 1 is Giuseppe Pastore, and it's uh, Maratta. Maratta misses the net more than John. Oh, let me translate it correctly here. Uh, paraphrasing the well known saying if Maratta had shot John Lennon, John Lennon would have been 81 today. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, John Lennon would still be alive if Maratta had shot him. <laughs> All right, at Torgrud45, Anthony, and this is why you don't use Google Translate. Uh, Tutto Sport, Milan preoccupato, Hernandez se è spento. Milan worried, Hernandez has died. <laughs> <laughs> only worried, only worried. <laughs> won't miss him defensively, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. So Chelsea tweeted out, two idiots have stopped play by running on the pat- pitch. There's said two idiots right there, Bernadeschi and Rabio. <laughs> <laughs> that comes from a nurse ski. Oh, nice. that's good. That's good. Oh. All right. So those were the 10 finalists. Oh, uh, wow, we, we got to pick one. How do we pick those? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, Let's <sighs> narrow it down. Uh, okay. Paris Nitsch. Parasnitch for sure. Um, I like the not- Nedved one for sure. This one, Nedved. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> at uh, Mate DJ23. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's two. Um, and then I would say uh, Torgrud45. The No, oh, no, no. Hernandez uh, is dead? Yeah, or... Uh, Assistencialinte. I think Assistencialinte is the third finalist. <laughs> nostalgia Day. Yeah, the Nostalgia Day tweet. Uh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Okay, we right. think that's top three. Yeah. Okay, so we have top three. Uh, Anthony LaFleur saying that the Nedved tweet was his tweet of the year. Um, yeah. That was that was pretty damn funny. Yep. I, I died laughing that one. Um Paris, Paris is good. It was definitely a good one. Um, I don't know if it repeats for me. Okay, so you're taking you're taking Paris Nitch off. I think so. Yes. So the the heart third, that he being the third. only big that that doesn't go for you. That that novelty wore off for you, huh? Yeah, it feels <laughs> off as they said. It was good. It was good. It won it won last year, but I think uh, these couple other ones are pretty damn good. All right, so we are down to. Uh, at Mate DJ twenty three and at Assistencialinte. Yeah, what do you think, man? Uh, I I'm, I'm gonna go with my I'm I, I think I'm gonna go with the Nedbed one. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Only I mean, just 
only just. I mean, it's close, but I think I'm. I think we're going with that. So I mean, you can see Ned Van doing that with his long hair running away from the... uh, Ned fleeing from Turin during the GDF search. And it's so apt now because everything that's going on now with the transfer transfer gate or whatever you want to call it, um, yep. you can see it still happening now. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm down with it. I'm down with it. <laughs> okay, and we're calling this the best Calcio tweet of 2021. Best Calcio tweet of 2021. Oh, I'm tearing up just reading it. Oh. <sighs> A lot of good tweets this year. A lot of good tweets in 2021. Uh, last year, obviously, Don Totti won with his... Uh, Roma on fire with the with the Elmo dancing in the street with the drums. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, but yeah, this is funny as well. That's uh, good. Yep. Yep. All right. So, oh, so congratulations to Mate DJ twenty three, our uh, twenty twenty one Who Won Calcio Twitter Tweet of the Year, edging out Assistenzialinte and Perisnich. Uh, great stuff there. So. Just, just only just so. Only just. Well, we're going to put a bow on 2021 uh, for uh, Serie A down. Richard, anything to plug away on? Uh, Well, certainly first, uh, Inter Worldwide and Football Worldwide. uh, Definitely plug those two podcasts from Anthony. Uh, Got to be on Anthony's podcast, uh, Football Worldwide, today with a great cast of gents uh, from all the seven sisters. We're on there. It was really fun times to talk about the review of Serie A season, the first half of the season. Um, Other than that... What am I gonna plug? Um, just just our just our normal stuff, you know, our our YouTube page, Instagram, Facebook, uh, all that stuff. Uh, and if you want to follow me at our underscore Carmen uh, on Twitter or anywhere else. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's been a good good year, and hopefully we get better here going twenty twenty two. Yes. Um, ooh, quick thought. Rohit is asking. Here's a thought: Has Italy has Italy winning the Euros momentarily papered the wide cracks in Italian football? Uh, it gave us something to celebrate for sure. Yeah. You winning, know. winning, make, winning certainly makes you overlook the cracks all the yeah, time. You, you think sure. your team's better than they are, and then when your teams are down, you think your team's worse than they actually are. Um, Indeed, Zuri are are at a good place, but they can do better. They can certainly do better. And Euros was just it, it made us mass that for a little bit. I think there's still room for growth, but we still are, are in a good place. We have some fantastic youth coming up. Some fantastic players are there. If we can figure out the striker, I think. Uh, if our strikers can get hot or we find a striker that fits that mold perfectly, maybe it's Kamaka, who knows? Uh, yeah. They'll be dangerous, but I think the pieces are there. They just have to figure it out. Mancini's the right guy. Yep, indeed. I'm at FT, FTC underscore 21. Serie uh, sit down. We have our own channel on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever uh, there are podcasts. There is City I Sit Down. You can follow us at City I Sit Down on Twitter and on Instagram. You can also check us out on Facebook. Um, we are there as well. So um, plenty of places. Uh, if you are watching this video for the first time, subscribe. Uh, hit that notification bell. And most importantly, drop a like. Uh, uh, wouldn't. It's not that hard to do. Um, and we don't beg for it like most others do. We just ask nicely and we get on with, we get on with things. So, um, would appreciate it and would, uh, help us out very much. So, um, that's it for 2021, 2022. 
crazy things are going to happen. We've got a second half of the season that can be pretty wide open from the things we've talked about. We think four teams are in play for Scudetto. Um, years, I think. Yep. And we think we're in for a pretty tight race. We've got Italy, hopefully, can overcome Portugal, get to the World Cup. Um, plenty to get excited about here in the new year to come. So, um, Richard, Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's. Stay safe. Drink yep. responsibly. Yep. Drink responsibly. Drink, drink, drink Wisconsinly. That's that's actually a thing. There's t-shirts for that. So um, yep. I knocked off my two. So <laughs> um, everybody out there, uh, whatever you're doing for New Year's, just make it safe, make it healthy. Um, and uh, looking forward to bringing the Calcio content to you again. I think we'll be back on Richard on uh, January 9th. Yeah, yeah, it's a while away. That's my birthday. I don't know, but it's my birthday. I don't know if we'll do that day, but we'll see. We'll see. Okay. If not, we can find, you know, we can we can reschedule. Uh so um but we'll the, the week of January 9th we will be back yes. on as City Out resumes. Yeah. So um in the meantime, uh and keep keep enjoying the holiday season. Uh enjoy the little siesta and uh catch up on time doing other things, not not <laughs> not not burying yourself in the calcio uh because it's going to come thick and fast when it's back so um happy new year to all of us from city i sit down to all of you for richard i'm frank tell your paisans about us ciao <laughs>